New Beverly Presents, Pure Cinema Podcast, New Beverly Calendar Edition. February. Well That's done. all you need to know. Uh, February 2019. February 2019, yes. Yeah, don't if think the show continues for another couple of years, then good. You'll have a <laughs> reference point. Um, so, yeah, we are uh, excited to dive into the calendar. We have a couple great guests uh, joining us as uh, part of the uh, third amigo from now on, uh, Phil Blankenship from the New Beverly Cinema. Hello, everyone. And uh, somebody who we actually wanted to have on uh, many moons before we were here with the New Beverly, she doesn't know this, but it's true, uh, is Kim Morgan, who's somebody uh, who's been writing for her own blog, Sunset Gun, for a long time that we've always admired. And I remember, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was actually about Shark, where it went recently, which caught my eye. That was really interesting. Right around when Bert died, right? I don't think I wrote about Shark. Okay, maybe not, yeah. I, f- I felt like when he died, I read something by you, and I thought it was for about shark. But maybe been deliverance. Yeah, hmm. yeah I've never seen deliverance. No, I have to. <laughs> yeah, um, I haven't seen shark. Anyway, Kim Morgan, welcome to the show. Thank you. And you're also doing a lot of writing of the blogs for the New Bev. Yes. And like deep dives with Elliot Gould, which was a great interview. Thank you. Thank you. How long have you been doing that? Uh, writing for the blog or yeah. just writing? For, no, for New Bev. Uh, since uh, twenty le- end of 2016. Yeah. yeah. So when we been, relaunched our website? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's been wonderful because they allow me to really go into um, a lot of really uh, long-form essays and really get in-depth in movies. And I feel that I've not really been able – I've written for – I mean, not, I've written for Criterion and places like that, which allow you to do that. But a lot of other uh, places do not let you do that. They don't give you that kind of – freedom so yeah i appreciate it we've long thought that kim was one of the premier film critics and commentators uh out there so we're very happy to have her on board and uh she gets to write about a lot of films that probably don't get to be written a lot about Mm -hmm. um i know in january she did an excellent piece on the last american hero which i encourage all of you to check out thank you highly recommended and hopefully by then most of you will have gone seen it because that's one of our picks. Great movie. Um, so obviously this any themes you want to lay out before we get into this? Because this particular calendar, things have been shaping up for a while. There's a – obviously by the time he, people here, obviously there's a big uh, tribute to Burt Reynolds here. Any other patterns we need to know before we dive in? Well, as always, <laughs> all of our films at the New Beverly are going to be on film. And I think the exciting thing for February is that all of the prints are going to be 35 prints. So there's going to be nice. no 16s. It's all going to be 35 Um, But a quick reminder that uh, we record these uh, calendar episodes actually before the calendar is released. So things are always schedule permitting. So Mm -hmm. things could always change a little bit. But I think everything is pretty much locked down here. So aside from the Burt Reynolds films, which we're really excited about, um, we're going to be showcasing uh, Godfather Part 2. We're going to be screening an original IB Tech print of that. And we're going to be doing a bunch of wild kind of Godfather knockoff midnights that week. And then throughout the month, we have some other cool stuff, um, including a ton of prints from the Sony archive that have never been run before. Whoa. Um, but we'll get to each of those uh, as we go through the schedule. And that's the show. Thanks for coming, Kim Morgan. <laughs> Thank yeah, it's you. been great. Goodbye. <laughs> he just did it. No. Well, if we kick off with uh, going into the deep. Uh, we've got uh, Jaws and the Deep paired together, uh, which makes me want to know, uh, Kim, when did you see the Jaws oh, for the first time? Oh, Jaws. I've, I didn't even see that that was on the. Yeah, what did I... Jaws and the Deep are kicking off on February 1st. Uh, Do you have a fr- early Jaws memory? I, I just feel like that and Psycho are two movies I'm always curious people's first time with. When I first saw Jaws, well, we, uh, I rented Jaws. It scared the shit out of me because <laughs> when I was younger, I, we would go visit my family. Uh, my father lived in Seattle, and then we lived in Bainbridge Island before that, so that it was on the water. So I would think about that. 
Yikes. And uh, I remember thinking, it's one of those films that you really start to notice the craft when you're younger uh, in terms of just how are they doing that on that boat? How are they? And the and to me, the, the, the shark looked very realistic. Yeah. I mean, to, the, the heart of that movie to me is the men on the boat and... Um, all the relationships, and it's it's long been one of my favorite Spielberg films because I like how kind of earthy that film is. I love the relationship with Roy Scheider and his wife yeah. and his children, and it's it feels like it's a much deeper film than maybe it gets credit for. Yeah. Um, I think that's why it has the lasting quality. I mean, I think that's yeah. why most of us. Uh, it's not just. It's definitely not just the horror elements of that film. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, did you see somebody recently on Twitter or, you know, the social media erased all the um, split diopter shots and like put them out of focus and they thought, oh, I'm going to correct this for people. And it's just like, what is wrong with human humanity? That's like some of the greatest moments of that film, you know, yeah. are playing with depth. It's such a smart film. Yeah. And his craft is like, I mean, it's that's why I agree with that video when they, him and Joe Spinell freak out about the Oscars and <laughs> about not being nominated. You're like, I understand that pain because that is a brilliantly crafted movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about The Deep? Do you have an equally visceral reaction to Jacqueline Bisset's uh, <laughs> yeah, Jack- outfit? Jacqueline Bisset. <laughs> From the number one bestseller by the author of Jaws, this is The Deep. It begins in Bermuda with the adventure and romance of an island vacation, a fantastic opportunity for two young lovers to get away from it all. Was it beginner's luck to discover a sunken wreck in less than 60 feet of water? Where'd you get this exactly? Was it coincidence that there were two treasures, one of priceless jewels, the other more valuable than that? You must be the young couple who found that bottle this afternoon. Certainly didn't look like anything. We didn't find any bottle. The danger and excitement of treasure worth killing for. The adventure and intrigue of a secret worth dying for. She hasn't got it. If his tongue moves again, cut it. Go upstairs, pack, and go home. I'm going down there. And you're going to have to blow me up, too. As you please, boy. And beneath it all is the terror of the deep. I just start that movie. I just rewatched this just because, uh, and yeah, I forgot just how much it wants to be like Jaws in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's definitely playing on that. Obviously, it's it's doing some other things too, but it's uh it's an interesting movie and directed by Peter Yates, great know, journeyman show, director, show favorite. Yeah. But yeah. It's, I have seen The Deep, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely one that I feel like. But I did really like it. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it's it's good. I mean, it's it has some weird voodoo stuff in it that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I mean, you've got uh, Lou Gossett Jr., you yeah. got Robert Shaw back, and then obviously Nick Nolte and Jacqueline Bisset, and I don't know, it's a really interesting group of actors and characters and the dynamic, and there's like. Oh, and who's the? Oh, I can't remember who the. Um, there's sort of a. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, it's Eli Wallach. Yeah, I yeah, couldn't. Eli Wallach, I, yeah. I lost that for a second. Anyway, I, I thought it was interesting to rewatch, and I was just surprised how much they had uh, Robert Shaw throwing lines out that feel like, you know, kind of alternate takes to Quint a little bit. You know, just a little bit of that. But 
And I, I like they play Nick Nolte up as a sex symbol a little bit, which is nice. Opposite he's got the blonde hair. Yeah, he, it's a different look for him, and he's equally topless, so I don't feel like it's just perving on her, even though it's pretty ridiculous in the opening 20 Especially minutes. Especially for a PG-rated movie. Yeah, she, she's crazy. diving in her see-through white top. But yeah. but he's equally, uh, you know, being looked at in that way, which is just not, he's just not one of those actors I think of that way, you know, especially not now. <laughs> he looks like Santa Claus, you know. <laughs> but he is. He's such, I mean, he's one of, I, I love his presence no, in I movies. You know? I, I thought of Jaws again in that I remember my mother telling me about Jaws. Because she saw it in theaters? Yeah, because you have these childhood memories sometimes where you actually are like, did my mom just tell me all about that? Or, you know, <laughs> and um, it terrified me. Yeah. And I was just, just your mom that, telling you about it. Yeah, she would tell me about like, you know, Ted Bundy or the, you know, <laughs> yeah. Shining or something when she saw it or something, you know, and I'm like, oh, way too young. Were you an only child or not? No, I okay. had uh, three brothers and sisters. Okay. Yeah. So, so she had already experimented on that when she got to you. <laughs> yeah. But you, did, did you, did you all watch a lot of stuff on television too when you were growing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of stuff. I I remember seeing Jaws see, when yeah. it premiered on TV, yeah. I think. And it was like a big deal. And I watched that tape of Jaws for years before I ever you know, I feel like a lot of these earlier films, I saw them on TV or like the very th- first thing I could rent, you know? Yep. The Deep I mean, is definitely you, one of those. Do you have yeah. that experience too? I mean... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like I wish I would have seen them in theaters, yeah. you know? Oh, no. I'd like, you know, I do this other show we do, Shockwaves, where we talked, and a lot of the older guests, the most exciting thing is when they saw either The Exorcist or Psycho in theaters. And mm-hmm. the, the stories of those who saw Psycho or maybe Drive-Ins when they're kids mm-hmm. are always gold. Like Mick Garris, people like that. It's just so fun to listen to the these movies that are iconic to us or Chainsaw Massacre but to have been there and you're like yeah. I don't think I've had many films in my lifetime like that but actually Pulp Fiction's one it might not be horror but I remember seeing that on like before I'd heard anyone talk about it in a theater and you're like whoa like yes. it's just these movies that you notice and go that's game changer kind of movie yes. culturally but just I think Psycho must have just been astounding to, for that twist I can't you, you just wish if, if you could time travel that would be one of those moments yes. for me but uh, it's always fun to hear so um, so okay well let's let's the deep and Jaws that's a really fun way to kick off the first two cool. nights and I'm excited uh, about these two as well because uh, first we should mention quickly that they're both written uh, by Peter Benchley and they're based on his novels yep. Yep. Um, but the print of Jaws looks fantastic it was struck for Quentin around the time of Inglorious Bastards. So wow. cool. it hasn't got lots of play. It's going to look and sound fantastic on screen. But what's really a special chance on this double bill is the deep. We have an original four track mag print. So these magnetic soundtrack prints uh, were early uh, multi channel uh, sound options for film. So nowadays you go see a movie and you has, you know, a ton of different discrete channels, you know, in stereo. But this is back in a time when almost all films came out mono only. So this is going to have the full stereophonic soundtrack. It's going to sound really deep and interesting. Nice. I was going to ask about that. I've never experienced a four-track mag print before. That's cool. Yeah, I saw... I saw one at the New Bev a couple years ago. I saw a four-track mag print of uh, Thank God It's Friday, and <laughs> never have I enjoyed that movie as much as I did that wow. night. That's cool. Um, but also, quickly want to point yeah. out that February 1st is my girlfriend's birthday, so I want to give her Happy a quick sh- quick shout-out. Happy birthday, Jackie. And uh, Jaws is uh, her favorite franchise. Wow. And I played Jaws 2 a couple years ago on her birthday. And unlike yes. you, she actually listened to our show originally, so <laughs> she's in good standing with us over there. Thank you, Jackie. Oh. Oh, goodness. Okay, so what do we have? So on that Friday at midnight, I think we're going into uh, Pulp Fiction. Which would have been a good segue from what I was already talking about, I guess. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, Pulp Fiction, which is playing how many times at midnight? So it's going to be playing every Friday at midnight in February. Cool. 
And I just saw a photo of John Travolta outside. That was so charming. (laughs) When was that from? So this weekend, uh, so this past Friday, we played Jackie Brown. And when we were changing out the marquee to put up Pulp Fiction, I guess he was driving by, pulled (laughs) over, and he took a photo in front of the marquee. He's doing his little dance at Jackrabbit Slims. And he posted it on Instagram and Facebook. It's pretty amazing yeah. yeah i thought that was really really cool that's cool my wife was really excited about that's what that. i always say you never know what you're gonna see when you come to the bed <laughs> that's right and then so then do we go straight into the next week or is there another thing at midnight on so on uh the first thing we're gonna get into a whether you want to talk about it is Obviously. either the kitty matinee on mm-hmm. the saturday and sunday the february 2nd and 3rd we're gonna be playing disney's the happiest millionaire yeah it's so, also a mag print apparently huh? yeah that's actually gonna be an ib tech uh four track mag print so it's gonna have fantastic uh multi-channel sound and the color is going to be perfect so it's going to look very vibrant and the other exciting thing about that print is that it's the extended roadshow version so that film existed in uh, a few different formats uh when it came out it was relatively long when it premiered and had kind of an abbreviated roadshow uh, run across the country, and then it was quickly chopped down and put on uh, like a double feature with another Disney film. Yeah, I think Crazy. one of the scenes is a long extended scene of him and the alligators just like going around, hanging out, the country singing songs together, which is very exciting. <laughs> and this print also has like the original uh, like overture at the start, and it's got like an intermission. It's going to be quite an event. I haven't, I haven't actually seen the film, but the clips I was watching, I was watching online looked actually really charming. Like him, he's, he lit, I don't know if you're familiar it's with this one. one of those few Disney's. I, I've seen a lot of these, but I haven't seen this one. He's, he's an eccentric millionaire, and his uh, I think his maid comes home, and there's literally four giant alligators in their house just hanging out. <laughs> and she's screaming, and he's like, it's no big deal. And the, and the butler's trying to drag like a crocodile that looks as big as the movie Alligator. Like It, it just <laughs> instantly, I was like, no, I think I need to see this movie. <laughs> Marian Alligators. It looks I'm fun. In, so, yeah. I'm in. Um, yeah what that, are the musical numbers like in this one? So, the songs the are by uh, the, the the Sherman Brothers, who oh, did nice. the, so- the songs for a ton of like Disney classics, including, okay. uh, you know, like Mary Poppins and yeah. stuff like that. So, they are pretty good. Nice. But the cast for the movie is pretty fantastic. It's got Fred McMurray, yeah. and uh, Greer Garson plays his wife. And then I think Leslie Ann Warren, maybe uh, in one of her, f- her first role or one of her first yeah, roles nice. plays the daughter and yeah. uh, it's it's fun. Cool. And then at the midnight we have... Has anybody else seen Happiest Millionaire? I've never seen it. Yeah. It's interesting that none of us have. Yeah. Well, we I love Fred McMurray. Me too. Yeah. It looked genuinely fun and I, I sometimes these... I, I'm never in the always in the mood to watch like, you know, certain Disney classics in the middle of the day and this one instantly looked to me like a lot of fun. So, so you know, yeah. come down. Um, and then at midnight if you stay all day... Uh, a a movie uh, Purple Rain am I correct that is correct Purple Rain but it's not just Purple Rain Uh we are actually getting from Warner Brothers uh, an extremely 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 rare four track mag print of that so that movie of course has an amazing soundtrack um, that gets everybody on their feet but this is going to sound really really good Um, and this print may be the one print like that I didn't even realize at the time that they were making uh, the mag prints so late into the run, so eighty four is pretty late for that. And are we going to do like uh, free popcorn for anyone wearing Minnesota Timberwolves gear? <laughs> are we going to do any kind of Minnesota tie-in for the or purple? The yeah, or purple. <laughs> okay, well, if you want to, that, that could be a Laker fan though. We can't have that. <laughs> um, okay. We'll see what happens. But uh, but we're really excited to uh, showcase all the the four track mag prints. Cool. Uh, during our remodel, we really went through and we upgraded all of our sound equipment. 
so that we could really display these properly. Um, a lot of theaters, well, very, very, very few theaters can uh, play these prints uh, yeah. alone, uh, yeah. let alone play them properly. So nice. we are going to be doing a bunch of mag prints all month. And then the Saturday midnights are basically going to be music focused. Oh, okay. Cool. All the way through the month. Um, cool. And then we uh, lead into, so, you know, uh, after January and some of December was focused on Godfather, you now have Godfather Part 2 taking uh, this entire week. So February 3rd to the 9th. The history of two generations of crime. The drama of absolute power and the men who violate it. The Godfather, part two. What is your name? Don Vito Corleone and his son Michael. Both had seen the ones they loved most cut down before their eyes. Both had killed as an act of vengeance. Both commanded the most powerful and merciless crime organization in the world. Is it true that in the year 1950, you devised the murder of the heads of the so-called five families in New York? It's a complete falsehood. They would take any measures. I mean, you've won. Do you want to wipe everybody out? I don't feel I have to wipe everybody out, Tom. It's just my enemies. Make any arrangement. Michael, we're bigger than U.S. Steel. Order any death. To protect the empire they controlled. The Godfather and his heir. Both were men of ice, and both were targets. And then you're pairing it with a lot of interesting. What's these, this print like, Godfather 2? So technically, these actually aren't paired shows. Oh, okay. um, oh. So it's like, because the, the movie's so long, yeah, you so, then just go into minutes. So we're going to be playing uh, Godfather Part 2 yeah. uh, as like a single feature all week, and we think that that movie can stand on its yeah. own, yeah. not just because it's long, but because it's one of the most satisfying yeah. epic films ever made. Um, however, if people want to stick around later in the night, we're going to have a, a separate midnight show each of those uh, nights for some fun kind of like grindhousey sort of things, grindhousey knockoffs of the, the Godfather films. Yeah, so let's let's run through some of them because a couple of them I think are probably, we, maybe no one's seen The Tong Father. Well, let's first, uh, has, does anybody have anything to say about Godfather oh, Part yeah. 2? Does Good anyone call. have a favorite scene in The Godfather 2? Because we could talk about everything. It's Check so down. much to talk about, <sighs> but I always, you know. That's tough. That's real tough. I don't know. I feel like it's the scene where Fredo confronts Michael and yells mm. at him and kind of tells him how hurt he is. Because to me, yeah. as much as it's, it's about, you know, the rise of, of Vito Corleone and um, De Niro, I just feel like Fredo is... The one that I, you know. He said that you were being tough on the negotiations. But if they could get a little help and close the deal fast, it would be good for the family. You believe that story? You believe that? He said there was something in it for me on my own. I've always taken care of you, Fredo. Taken care of me? You're my kid brother and you take care of me? Did you ever think about that? Huh? Did you ever once think about that? Send Fredo off to do this. Send Fredo off to do that. Let Fredo take care of some Mickey Mouse nightclub somewhere. 
Some freight ought to pick somebody up at the airport. I'm your older brother, Mike, and I was stepped over. That's the way Pop wanted it. It ain't the way I wanted it. I can handle things. I'm smart. Not like everybody says. Like dumb. I'm smart and I want respect. I probably feel like I relate to him the most, which probably says a lot <laughs> oh, yeah. about me. But uh... I remember my sisters and I got in a huge argument about, it just was a casual discussion, like which one of us is, you know, the brothers. <laughs> my, si- my older sister and I were like, I'm Sonny and you're, my-. I'm like, I'm Michael. She's like, no, you're Sonny. <laughs> and then my little sister's like, I'm Fredo, really? <laughs> you guys are saying I'm Fredo? I'm like, okay, we're all Fredo. I like you these know, family dynamics. So we're, we are kind of all, we kind of all are Fredo because he's, to me, the most humanized, uh, you know, vulnerable guy. Yeah. And you can kind of see your, you know, your worst feelings and insecurities in Fredo. I just, I feel like that's, it's such a, be- I mean, all the performances are beautiful, but that performance you know, and of course, there's the kiss of death scene and everything. Yeah. But I just feel like those scenes are my favorite. And then the final scene where the where they show the uh, family kind of all together, and you're like, oh god, <laughs> some of these people are going to be dead. Yeah. You know, it's very touching. Um, so, but yeah, to talk about the film as a whole is very hard. Well, yeah, to and, and I feel like it, it, that and one they blend so perfectly together in my mind too. When they're when they're years away as a story, it's like. To, to me, the most two consistent movies back to back I've ever seen. The part three was made long enough later that I can see the maybe gap there more. Yeah. But uh, yeah, these two films are just terrific. Um, and we're going to be playing an IB Technicolor print of that. And yes. that was one of the final films in the U.S. released in that format. Hmm. So we're going to see it how audiences originally saw it. Wow. Which is going to be very okay. exciting. And uh, the color on that print are is 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 awesome. In fact, when they were doing the restoration, I think in the '90s, they used these IB Tech prints as the like the color reference. Wow. Hmm. Very nice. Well, we almost buried the lead, but the Tong Father. Now, an underworld power more murderous than the Mafia, more gory than the Godfather. The combined forces of Judo and Kung Fu Karate explode across the screen in the. Tong father. <laughs> I, I have not seen I watched the trailer. It looked like a lot of fun. It looked yes. like uh, people vying for a heroin trade, yes. opium trade. Is I watched that... the trailer too and I was excited, but yeah. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. So, Is this one you are, you've seen or not? Yes. So uh, what my favorite thing about this movie uh, is that it was released by uh, Terry Levine in Aquarius Releasing, who was one of the great characters of uh, New York uh, Grindhouse era. Uh-huh. And this is just a film that he picked up and decided to retitle, put out some uh, very killer ads and just put it, rush it to the theaters after oh. The Godfather hit. So it was called Hand of Death originally, and then he turned it into The Tong Father. Yeah. Okay. That's he, he, he had a title and he had to find a movie, so okay. <laughs> he found one. It, but it's, it's a fun movie. Well, it looks like a good midnight movie for sure. That'll keep you awake. Uh, Then we are back with The Family, uh, directed by Sergio Salima. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I didn't realize that, I think, the last time we talked about this movie because The Big Gun Down, I'm a huge fan of that one, so I didn't realize it was the same director, uh, a.k.a. Violent City. Yeah. Um, Anyone, have you seen this one? Yeah, no, we talked about it last time. It's it's good. It's good. It's got a nice uh, 
little twisty thing happening, not to spoil anything at the end, but uh, there's some great good... Charles Bronson performance, absolutely. I think. Yep. Absolutely. He, he, always he roughs up Jill Ireland a little bit too much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Wow. Did they have that in their contract to always be in movies together? Do you think that yeah. was part of his, it must have been part of his deal, it's right, at a certain thing. point? Because she just in, is in everything at a certain point with him. Uh, I love Telly Savalas, so that's always I do good too. as a bad guy. That's great. You know? <laughs> um, but but the family, the print that we have, yeah. like I watched it when it played in December. Yeah. It actually looks fantastic. It's an original print in really good condition. Surprisingly, the color still looks good. Um, but there's a great sequence in it that's very similar to The Mechanic because uh, Bronson is a hitman in this too. And it's a long, extended... Uh, scene where he's setting up the hit. And yeah. It's very methodical. And yeah. uh, I remember liking that stuff a lot. I Did mean, I just utter that I love Telly Savalas too? Yeah. too <laughs> yeah. A little too loud and a little no, too passionately. No, no. no yes. I, I think that's I don't think that's how possible. can you hold back on Come that? Come on, Look you saw up. that People magazine cover with <laughs> yeah, his medallion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no. It's, we all love him. Yes. I, I'm a big fan. <laughs> uh, and then another one that I guess is a little more obscure than some of these uh, The Black Godfather. <laughs> He's the godfather of the ghetto. He's black, brutal, and beautiful. The foxiest chicks in town are standing in line. The mafia is running for cover. JJ is his name. Power is his game. He's the black godfather. Um, which I actually started watching and mm-hmm. just ran out of time. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, not a nowhere near as good a version of it. It looks pretty rough. Uh, do you know much about the background of this film? Because it looks like, you know, something that would have played in theaters, you know, when it came out, but maybe hasn't had much of a life since. Yeah, I know that, uh, like, Xenon has put it out on DVD mm-hmm. and video, but it's something that should be looked at. I want to point out that uh, Mark Edward Hoyk, who's also one of our writers yeah. uh, for the New Bev, he wrote a huge extended uh, rundown of all the comparisons between these midnight movies that we're doing the week of The Godfather Part Two. So he really dug deep, and he found some yeah. interesting stuff about the director on that one. Oh, cool. Uh, the thing that grabbed me is, uh, what was it? It was about... Um, oh, Black Godfather against White God, a Godfather in a showdown of the baddest. So it's like the, the white kind of uh, uh, gang are being taken on in the heroin trade and kind of looked like a fun face-off kind of situation. It, it looked fun to me. I mean, this, I watched the first like 20 minutes and I was like, if I'm going to watch this, it should be in a theater because I don't know. Some movies, I, I think certain movies, that quality in a theater is so different than watching it at home. You know, some of these movies hold up however you see them, but I think some of them, you need that kind of communal thing. At least I do. Um, and the one thing I wanted to know more about was he has a film called Blackjack, which is uh, a, a black gang robbing a Vegas casino. I was like, I need to see that movie. So same director as far as I know. Did John I Evans. Know. Yeah. Um, okay. That is, so that is, oh, and then, okay, we can't miss the pairing I'm most excited about here. Uh, Disco Godfather. Disco, yeah. I'm talking, uh, Rudy Ray talk Moore. about an audience picture. Uh, <laughs> anything with Rudy Ray Moore is a lot of fun, but uh, the, the thing I remember, it's the Blueberry Hill Disco. That is the key, <laughs> the key element here. And he was a Angel cop. Angel Dust, also and, yeah, a key PCP, element. you know, oh, it's yeah. a reference to the show. No. Uh, he, it's about a cop who becomes a DJ. Disco Godfather. Oh, wait. 
weight on it. Put your weight on it. Put your weight on it. All right, everybody out there, you got your mind on the wonder and your ass on the loose. Come on, get lucky in here. Shoot the shoes to the boots. I mean, what more do you need than that? Uh, fans of this film here? Yeah, okay. and, and Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah. And I'm excited for Larry and Scott's and uh, Craig Brewer yeah, directing so a... Yeah, uh, Dolomite Is My Name with Eddie yeah. Murphy. Yeah, with Eddie Murphy. Me too, big time. Yeah. It's going to be cool. And this is the only thing I learned about it that I didn't know is that this is also the de- film debut of Keith David. He's somewhere in there. as an extra somewhere in, in the disco gun. But this is actually one of my favorite of the... Because recently a lot of the Rudy Ray Moores came out to Vinegar Syndrome and like kind of going through them, this is one of the ones I think is a lot of fun. More than Dolomite? Yeah. Well, Dolomite or has the best lines. Or Human Tornado has got yeah. some I know. moments in it. And Petey better. Wheatstraw has some pretty great moments. But this one... To me, it's just you can't have. This is also the most gifable thing I've ever seen with him just <laughs> dancing behind the thing. So it's it's guaranteed good time. I think that would play Gangbusters at midnight. So yeah, it's a uh, the Rudy Ray Moore movie that kind of sidelined his career a little bit. Mm. It underperformed. It came out uh, after Disco uh, was oh, already no. on its I was uh, way say down. That. So it's like can't stop the music kind of thing <laughs> yeah, for I him. Love where can't I... stop the music too. I love that film too. Seventy nine. It was it was a little late for the Disco uh-huh. cash grab, but uh-huh. I think that it's really picked up a cult fan base since then. But uh, well, let's and we we'll circle back because I was you know wanted to do those in order, but there was a couple other movies in between, including you're bringing back the Madness. Yes, which is super exciting. Very 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 excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's um, talk about it. Matinees at the New Beverly. So we're bringing them back. Um, a lot of people have been asking us about it, and and these now are particularly the themed. I mean, you yes. last I think the last month you're around was it the Hitchcock? I remember seeing Strangers on a Train and a few others, were, but this time it seems to be uh, you're doing the uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn film. Yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. our afternoon classics every Wednesday at two. We really thought we could uh, find uh, midpoint of the week that we could really highlight some of our favorite classic type films. And uh, as you said, we got a bunch of Hepburn and Tracy romantic comedies. It's uh, Valentine's Day next month, so we're doing some romantic films on the big screen. And the first one of those is on the Wednesday, February 6th. We're going to kick it off with Women of the Year. Isn't the sports department downstairs? Uh, well, yeah, yes, yes, I guess it is, but I... Then uh, aren't you going in the wrong direction? Uh, well, maybe I am. I, uh... Are you always much too busy? What for? I was wondering about this afternoon. Sorry. Um, uh, tomorrow afternoon? What's on your mind? I'd like to take you to a baseball game. Okay. which got a nice uh, Criterion release this year as well. Um, And you're a big fan of this one too, right, Brian? Yeah, I do. Of the four you're showing, I think it's my favorite. Although uh, I won't spoil the other ones, but... Yeah, I think it's my probably my favorite. I don't know. Adam's uh, Ribs, the, the one that I... Adam's Rib is yeah. really my favorite, even though I feel like Woman of the Year is more of the classic George Stevens picture. Yeah. And it's the one, I believe, is it the first one that they did? Is it the first? Oh, well, I guess we could tell first. by the year, maybe. That's a good first. 49. I could be wrong, but I feel like... Yeah, I think we, it might be. We could yeah. look it up, yeah. but... Um, but who needs that? You can do that at home. It has <laughs> that great, uh, when he first meets her and she's adjusting her... Stalking and that oh, yeah. the immediate chemistry between Spencer Tracy and Catherine yeah. Hepburn. And I love the themes that it's dealing with in that this woman works very hard and he can't handle it. And you're thinking at the end, especially that great ending where she's trying to make him breakfast and she can't yeah. do it. And he says, I don't want you as this. I want you to be you. Yeah. 
but I don't want you to work as much, you know, <laughs> yeah. which could be, time, which know, be considered, yeah. but at the time yeah, it was pretty progressive. Yeah. Um, there's that scene though in the movie where she adopts the Greek orphan and then Spencer Tracy returns him, and I'm like, "Damn, right. <laughs> yeah. that is harsh." Yeah, there's some. There's a, a lot. Of, <laughs> a lot of movies this month have something like it. I was gonna say, there's a few problematic stuff. things about. Apparently, that he ran up the stairs and was happy because he didn't want to live with Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, which you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but um, you know, it it uh, it that's a really beautifully shot, beautifully acted film, and the the chemistry with them is incredible, but. The one that I watch all the time is Adam's Rib. That's the one that I love to watch. I'm sorry I keep going back. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. That's maybe towards the end of this Yeah, I think month? that's going to be the last one of okay. the year. But uh, um, we're also very excited. In addition to our afternoon classics, in February, we're going to be de- debuting a new Monday matinee series. That's great. Um, so for those of you who can take Mondays off or who don't work on Mondays or when there's a holiday, like there is going to be next month, um, and these are all ones that the staff programmed oh, for oh, February. Nice. And uh, February's Black History Month. We wanted to mm-hmm. uh, do a little showcase on that. So we're doing four films that are by black directors telling L.A. stories. And we're kicking off the first Monday in February, the 4th, with Set It Off. <laughs> I wish we could just get out of here. Hey, Darnell, I didn't know you had an account here. We're going to have to let you go. The fact that you knew the perpetrator doesn't sit well with us. Do you know Lorenz and them got away with 20 grand? That's what we need to do. Rob a bank. That's stupid. Ain't nobody over here going to be robbing no bank. We going to end up dead anyways. Maybe that's the way to go. Firing off a nod. We just taken away from the system that's doing us all anyway. Well, what if something goes wrong? What if somebody gets hurt? Let's do it. All right, check it out. Y'all can roll with that right there. Well, we ain't robbing stage coaches. I need something I can set it off with. The F. Gary Gray movie mm-hmm. uh, starring Fifth K. Fox and Queen Latifah and Jada Pinkett Smith. And oh, I see. Yeah, we missed that already. Yeah. It's Widows Before Widows. That's my note. I was thinking of that uh, <laughs> last I mean, they, night, they pair actually. They well together, yeah. because yeah, I watched Widows last night, and yeah. I was thinking that when I was uh, thinking about this movie today. Great cast, too. I mean, everyone in it's great. Jada Pinka, Queen Latifah, Vivica Fox, you know. And it, um, it seemed like, I mean, it's of its time, but I don't think, it, it got some pretty good reviews, but it really is dealing with uh, the racism, sexism that these women are dealing with. And it isn't just a bank robbery movie. It's really getting into their lives and their feelings and their struggles. And it takes the time to show them. And F. Gary Gray does a fantastic job. And he's great. I mean, he did Straight Outta Compton was such a good movie. And um, and Friday, another oh, one, of my Friday, favorites. one of my favorites. You know, so I feel like that movie didn't quite get the credit it deserved. I think it now has much more of a cult following. Would you agree with me? Yeah, that, I definitely oh, think sure. it's one of the unheralded like genre films of the 90s. Yeah, in terms of it, critics, I think there was a big audience for it in terms of, uh, you know. I, I think people should, uh, I think a lot of people have revisited it and seen yes. it. Because they, when it came out, it was billed as, oh, these four women, they robbed banks in L.A. But when you actually sit down to watch it, you realize it's more about their friendship yes. and the socioeconomic struggles yeah. and like everything that they have to uh, 
deal with in their everyday life. Well, that's life. why I think it is like Widows. I think Widows really, I, yes, I'd be yes. interested to know if Steve McQueen had seen that film mm-hmm. or not because he does focus in on that, those kind of social details in between. Uh, yeah, I like all the films of this series. This, uh, actually, that's one of my favorite things about this month are these uh, Mondays, and we'll get to the others as we go along. I just I just watched it for the first time uh, a couple days ago, actually. Hmm. I had never, for whatever reason, just missed it. And yeah, really, really enjoyable. And I, I don't know if you guys see this or not, but I feel like maybe there's like a, I don't know, like an Arthur Marks or some kind of a 70s, you know, throwback to it a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on top of all this other stuff. There's almost like a black exploitation element that enters in to me a little bit um, that I liked, you know, on top of all the, you know, the, the friendship stuff and everything that's going on. I don't know. There, there's a lot going on there. And a really funny F. Gary Gray cameo, which I... I was definitely amused by. He just pulls up next to Latifah in his like uh, his car and just uh, pops the uh, hydraulics a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a dick, <laughs> but it was pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, yeah, good movie, good start. So, and then we, are, I think we're going uh, forward to uh, the eighth and ninth uh, for the Kitty uh, film, which is. Uh, one of the most successful uh, Oscar winners of all time. Uh, one of my favorite directors, uh, Carol Reed's uh, mm-hmm. Oliver. I forgot he um, directed that. 60. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting because that was tw- you know towards the later part of his career, and it was just it must have been so satisfying at that point for him to suddenly have this film that just you know absolutely crushed it. What I didn't know, and I feel like a bit of an idiot today when I was looking this up, I had no idea he was related to Oliver Reed, and it's, yeah. it's such a no brainer. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know but that. but Oliver Reed was worried about being it being seen as nepotism right. that he was in, getting cast in this, so he really wanted to prove himself to be in the film but uh, I guess his song was cut out of it which is a shame that's true I would have loved to have seen Oliver Reed he, singing in this but. It, it was cut out but I feel like he is the best Fagin oh, he's, oh. he's so good and I mean, even I love David Lean's Oliver Twist yeah. but I still feel that uh, Oliver Reed yeah. is the best Fagin for did sure. you see I didn't I never saw Polanski's that was I did see Polanski's it's, it's not a musical right no okay it's not as good as the David Lean's yeah, yeah. but yeah, I mean, this film is interesting. You know, I think I'm right. This He won. I mean, I love Kel Ree, but he won over Stanley Kubrick uh, for 2001 as Best Director at the Whoa. Academy Awards. Well, it's 1968. You're all right. If it's Whoa. Like, so. but, but that actually makes sense for the Academy Awards a lot of, of course, times, right? Of course. But <laughs> I, did, I saw change. that and I went, wow, okay. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, but uh, yeah, it's a really... I, the, the, the music sticks with you in that, I think. And also it's really well staged. I love that the set that they build, I think he built mm. a lot of that set and uh, all the period detail and all of the costuming and everything is really, yeah. is really good. And uh, I love that movie, even though I think some people were kind of thought it was ridiculous that it, did it win Best Picture too? It won, I believe it won it did. six Oscars that year. So I think it won all the key categories. Well, Annie didn't win, and that was John Houston. John Houston, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a soft spot for Annie. So. Yeah, I, I, I saw that at a key age. But I think this one is the one that's like part of our culture, part of, in our mind when we think all the quotes from it are coming from this version yeah, of this Yeah, that's production. of course. So, uh, Consider yourself. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we could all start yeah. singing. Holy smokes. Uh, no, food, so, glorious food. So, I mean, it could be a great <laughs> way to indoctrinate your kid this. to bring them down to this. And yeah. uh, I think if... This will be good fun. I think, you know, some young parents might see the runtime on that because it is over two hours and they might be afraid of uh, bringing their kid. But it's really engrossing the entire runtime. I think kids actually would really connect with it. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a really well made film, um, and then we are the, so this is one that I was, thought was really interesting. It seemed like a you know deep cut uh, of of this thing we always talk about each month. <laughs> there tends to be one great deep cut, and that's uh, two films by Paul Winkus, um, Battle oh, yeah. of the Coral Sea and Angel Baby. And I haven't seen either of them, so I'm going to defer to others. 
I have seen Angel Baby. I haven't seen Battle of the Coral Sea. Have you seen that film? I have not seen Battle of the Coral Sea. It does have a very hunky Cliff Robertson in it. Uh, watching the trailer, it looked—it's basically looked like a submarine adventure film. Looked a little bit P two one hundred nine ish, yeah. sort of. But I, I haven't seen it either, so I can't really. But it looked—I mean, it looked like a lot of it was taking place in a submarine and looked, you know, really well photographed and uh, black and white film. Uh, that's that's all I really could get from it. But uh, Angel Baby. Uh, from what I could see of the uh, of the trailer, this one got me excited because it definitely ticked all my kind of Southern Gothic vibes. And anytime there's a, a preacher coming to town uh, in one of these movies and the girl's a bad girl in quote marks and she's mute, I'm like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> this is, it, is all my hallmarks. So. Is it Burt's first? It is Burt Reynolds' first yeah. film. Yeah. And you've seen it though, Kim. You I have seen okay. it. Because it's not an easy film to see. Like, I couldn't find this online to see coming here. It is not. a Warner Archive DVD. Okay. Yeah. Is there a Warner That's Archive DVD? It's not streaming, yeah. as far as I could tell. Yeah, no, not, not easily, I don't think, no. It, it's on YouTube. It's, it's a weird film. I mean, it's, you know, it's about, as you saw probably, it's yeah. about evangelical preachers. And um, George Harrison plays one. Or George Harrison. Yeah. George, <laughs> George Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. George the Harrison. The man with the tan. That would be George interesting. Hamilton. Yeah, George Harrison. Um, and it kind of presents that he's a good one and then she gets caught up with a bad one because mm. she starts out as a mute and yeah. then she finds her voice through Jesus and uh, then she gets hooked up and with a bad guy and and it's all about the uh, the snake oil salesman aspect and the kind of Elmer Gantry aspect of yeah. it but she's an innocent and it's a very weird movie. It's like both pro-religion and very anti-religion. Yeah. And there's this final sequence that looks like something out of Day of the Locust where it just turns into chaos. Mercedes McCambridge is yeah. great. She plays the older wife of George Hamilton, yeah. not Harrison. <laughs> and, uh, and what's is Bert? Because I saw scenes where he's like a love interest. I watched a couple scenes. He's online. kind of a rapey interest. Okay. Yeah. He's okay. kind of like a, it. yeah, he's kind of, huh. he's on her all the time. And yeah. uh, What's the matter? Jenny, what do you want to learn to talk for, huh? Things are just fine the way they are. Jenny, our turn's coming. Jane! Hoke Adams, I told you to stay away Your from my Your girl's girl. old enough to know what she likes. Don't keep away from my Jenny, you hear? <laughs> Photographically, one thing that I thought was is the sequences I saw online were really beautifully shot. And they I were beautiful. Yes, Haskell Wexler actually was. Shooting. That's oh, nice. right. There and I go. think there was some comment that he was wearing roller skates for much of the movie, roller skating around with the camera. And I was like, you know, that's pretty interesting in 1961. So and Paul Wenkos took over for Hubert Cornfield, who yeah. was doing it. So I don't know how much he had shot. Oh, wow, interesting. Before. Um, but that is the kind of film that, that grabs my attention. Just the clip slicer made me I want to see this one in theaters. But Battle of the Carl Sea was a little harder to see uh, what, what exactly what kind of film it was. But, but that's uh, the, the exciting thing about that is uh, so over the course of the month, we're going to be running a lot of films from the Sony archive that have never been shown to an audience before. Mm. So these prints are going to look fantastic in their probably your only chance to ever see them back on the big screen. And Battle of the Coral Sea is one of those. So... I definitely would prioritize seeing those prints. And this is one of two Paul Wincoast double features for the month? Correct. Nice. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll um, get some beach movies later. <laughs> and Salome Jens is the star of the movie, the actress. Oh, that's playing, okay. Oh, playing the mute, yeah. Um, but as I think we mentioned, it's Burt Reynolds' feature film debut. That's right. And uh, I think that Monday is Burt Reynolds' birthday. Nice. So oh, cool. you can come do that, and then it's going to kick off what we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. 
Very cool. Will there be uh, any special? Uh, will you try to get anything special happening for his birthday? In there, you'll have to come and find uh, out. No, but maybe, be. maybe we'll have a cake or something could like that. Be. Oh, that's cake. right. She was married to Ralph Meeker. I should know <laughs> oh, that. Oh, I love oh, Ralph wow. Meeker. Yeah. I knew she was, but I wanted to make sure I was right about that. I'm glad you're here. Live you just wanted from to live yeah. research. <laughs> you just wanted to look up another photo of Ralph Meeker. I know. <laughs> Can blame her. He's dreamy. Then we wash up to uh, on the Monday matinee. Uh, the only one of the Monday matinees I actually haven't seen. Uh, and once I saw the trailer, I was very excited. The Hollywood Shuffle. Oh, Robert Townsend. Yeah, that I would say is one of the classic comedies yeah. of yeah. the '80s. It's co-written by Keenan Ivory Wayans, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so it's uh, Robert Townsend's uh, directorial debut. Yeah. He had. Acted in uh, a bunch of things, and I know that he wanted to act in more films, and his agent was basically telling him there was just the one black movie uh, a year. And so he took out all his money on his credit cards, called in every favor he could, and he put together this low-budget film that is a caustic takedown of, uh, you know, race in Hollywood. Yes. Uh, But it's not so caustic that it's off-putting. Right. It's still very funny. Hey, absolutely. And it feels like it really uh, was an influence on so many future comedians and uh, the whole, I love the black acting school <laughs> segment. It's great. Cut. Hi, my name is Robert Taylor and I'm a black actor. I had to learn to play these slave parts. And now you can too at Hollywood's first black acting school. It teaches you everything. Learn jive talk 101. You motherfucking jive turkey motherfucker. All right, all right, that's good, that's good. You work, all right, you try it. You, you fucking mothers. Fucking no, 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 man, no, 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 that's wrong, that's wrong. Watch me, man. Just be cool. Jive turkey motherfucker. Good work, good work. That's only the beginning. You too can learn to walk black. No, 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 no rhythm. Observe. Yes, yes, yes! You too can be a black street hood. But this class is for dark-skinned blacks only. Light-skinned or yellow blacks don't make good crooks. Here's a student in our dance class. And it's still a TV. It just happened to be under my coat. I don't know nothing, policewoman. Kojak, Ironside. Yeah, I'm a gang leader. I'm in the warlords, the vice lords, the onion head. Let's talk to a graduate. This is Ricky Taylor. Ricky graduated from my class three years ago. Ricky, can you tell us what you've been doing since you've graduated? Well, Robert, I've played nine crooks, four gang leaders, two dope dealers. I played a rapist twice. Whoa. <laughs> that was fun. But currently, I, I'm filming a prison movie. I play this tough con that tries to fuck this new inmate. That sounds wonderful. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Need I say any more? It's Hollywood's first black acting school. It teaches you everything. Classes are enrolling now. Learn to play TV pimps, movie muggers, street punks. Courses include Jive Talk 101, Shuffling 200, Epic Slaves 400, Dial 1-800-5-5-5. And I just feel, it seems like he really opened the doors for a lot of that style of comedy. Mm -hmm. I feel like in terms of a lot of the sketch comedy that came after that, I can see yeah, in living color. And, and I mean, Keen, I mean it, well, in living color was like a, yeah, because yeah. of Kenyon Ivory Wayne's, but even like Chappelle's show and things like that. Yeah. I mean, some of the themes that he. I mean, I I don't think 
I could be wrong, but I don't think anything really had done been done like that as as Hollywood Shuffle. I don't think I, a film had really approached how African Americans are cast in films and what they have. To, I mean, in terms in that kind of comedic way, in that specific way that he did it. I don't think I've, I've never seen anything like that before, and I could be wrong because I don't know everything. But <laughs> no, I think it feels pretty early for that sort of right? postmodern comment on yes. that sort of thing. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And it's still, like you said, it's really, fun. it's still really funny. Yeah, because it's actually, unfortunately, still kind of relevant. I know in terms of the kind of roles that black actors get now to this day. Uh, it is a lot of the same stuff, which is too bad. But but yeah, it's. <laughs> I was surprised how much a lot of it holds up. Yeah, to me, you know. Yeah, it's really a great, um, just one of those movies you can just tell is coming from some people that are outside of Hollywood just doing their own thing, and yet it's such a um, f- sort of fully realized voice, at least in terms of the comedy, I felt like, yeah, between the two of them. So, I don't know. It's a really, uh, really auspicious debut, a really nice debut film. And if you haven't seen the trailer, we've been running the trailer for it at the theater. <laughs> it's just Robert Townsend talking to the audience, and it's very funny. Yeah, very good. Uh, and then we really get deep into the Burt Reynolds tribute. And this thing I think a lot of us have been craving since his passing. Uh, you know, he's, he's, I mean, especially anyone from our generation uh, older, I feel like he's an incredibly important uh, movie star. Um, one of the biggest movie stars ever. I mean, not that we haven't really touched on that, but like of the movie star stars. Yeah, what that word really means, right? Being a movie star, like some, it, it wouldn't matter. Uh, to me, what that mo- that word tends to mean is somebody would go to a movie just because you're in it and they wouldn't even look at what the movie was. And that's something I don't think, I remember talking to Monty Hellman about that at one point. He didn't believe there's any movie stars left. And I, I, I don't, I wonder about that. I think Tom Cruise is still a movie star in that, in that way, but I don't think there are a lot. I think George Clooney's a great actor, you know, but I don't know if somebody would just go to a George Clooney movie just flat out without knowing what the movie. Yeah. I think with Burt, people there, people during that heyday, yeah. you know, 70s to 80s, I think people would see whatever he's in. Pretty much. Um, because he's, you know, the personality. For me, watching these mo- the movies that we're about to talk about, we were talking about it off air, is just you realize like how charming and like low key at certain roles, especially the roles that were less story centric, how just this kind of freewheeling, watching Burt laugh, watching him uh, be sarcastic or funny or charming or uh, laid back to the point of like doing nothing in a scene is utterly hypnotic. And and the more I watched of them, the more I wanted to keep watching Burt films. It was it, it was really a joy getting ready for this particular episode of anything we've kind of done was just kind of watching some of the a couple of the ones that we'll talk about that I couldn't remember if I'd seen. Uh, you like Shamus, which is one of the first ones we'll get to, which I just you know really loved because it's yeah. it's not a typical movie. You know the the kind of structure of it. Yeah. It's like you am I following a tight storyline or am I just following Burt doing things? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, I'll take Burt doing things. Well, I was yeah. going to say, counterpoint to what you're saying about him being low-key, he's also an incredibly physical actor. Yes. And one of the, certainly one of the most physical big star actors. I mean, I got, uh, Tom Cruise is obviously still kind of doing that yeah, stuff to, right, yeah. to a degree, but I feel like Burt has always been that guy, and there's something really engaging about seeing, you know, I mean, we all are getting used to the idea of seeing a cut to a stunt actor, you know, yeah. and obviously Burt didn't do all his own stunts, but he definitely did a lot of them, and he did a lot of physical stuff, yeah. running, diving. There's a great diving shot in in Seamus uh, just on the floor of a, of, a, of a warehouse where he slides right at camera and I was just like that's I don't remember last time I've seen a big star do something like that you know it's and if when they do they make a huge deal of it so I don't know I just love that about him too that has really kept me connected to him is that physicality as well as the affability that he has 
And we didn't know Bert would be the tribute when you, you were inviting you on the show, mm-hmm. regardless of what the films were. It wasn't really planned. So it, it kind of worked out nicely that uh, to have people, both of you, who are actually big Bert fans. Yes. So I think that's super important. Um, but I haven't the one one of the few ones I haven't seen, and I didn't really want to watch it at home, was Sharp. Burt Reynolds, alone in a world of man-eaters. Only one man against a ruthless gang of killers, but what a man. So our first double feature is Shark <laughs> and Seamus, which sounds like a great double. It's on February 12th. Uh, February 12th. Uh, so let's let's kick it off because uh, with those who have seen uh, Sam Fuller, that's the key there. Yeah. Uh, Shark, because I feel like this is one I'd probably want to see in theater. Um, but what you know, what are your thoughts on that? Double Shark you did not write about. point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Fuller originally titled it Kane, and then it Man Eater, yeah. and then he directed this film, and then when he delivered the print. Uh, they took it out of his control and edited it to hell. And so he disavowed it. He hated it. And he wished that they, you know, if, if it could have been his original cut, it could have been a great movie. This is a weird movie to study in terms of when, if you're a fuller, a tourist, and I'm, I don't know if you guys all are here, yeah, but, you know, it, so you've seen it, right, Phil? Of course. Okay, so... Would you agree with me, though, that there are some very fuller things in this film that, that you see? Um, the yeah, kid. That, I think it's interesting because he, since there. it was taken yeah, from his hands, he may not see it. But when I watch it, it looks like a fuller movie to me. Mm. It yes. feels like it for large parts of it. Yeah, I, And the kind of very cynical story about these people and the shark, which obviously kind of represents all of these predatory shark-like people that are at each other in the film. I mean, it has a sort of cynicism to it. Uh, it does have a cynicism to it, but it it also, there are even like some shots that I felt were a little Fuller-esque, like some of the close-ups, you know, Fuller mm-hmm. loves close-ups, you know. And But I thought, I wonder if this was like a nice tracking shot or what if they cut this all up? You know, you just sort of study it and see what did they do. It's really interesting to watch, even if you think it's flawed, if you love Fuller, because you're yeah, just trying to figure absolutely. out which one is. And then I think Burt Reynolds is fantastic in it. I think he goes along through that in a really charming kind of easygoing way that really uplifts the movie as well. And if it is flawed, he he and um, the drunk. Um, oh, shoot. Yeah. Arthur Kennedy. Yes. yes. Arthur Kennedy is great, too. Yeah. The drunk. <laughs> he is the drunk. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love uh, you, you. You were saying the things that remind me of Fuller. His relationship to the kid is very right. You know, uh, Steel Helmety, yes. Gene Evans, and the kid. You know that sort of thing. Really stood, especially because the kid is basically introduced uh, smoking a cigar. Yes, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how Fuller is that? You know what I mean? Like that right away. I was like, oh well, there we go. There's a little bit of him for sure. You know, I would love to see his original cut though. Oh, you me know? too. But what was sure. their reasoning for cutting up? Did they just wanted to move faster, or I think he gave different reasons in his. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I've heard stories that he left or something, um, and then I think he just or they just messed with it and named it Shark. Uh, and there was a stuntman who was one of the behind the scenes stories that I read was one of the stuntmen was killed by one of the sharks. And I guess the distributor wanted to use some yeah. of that footage to promote it and Fuller wasn't okay with that. He talked all about a long scene that, that Bert did that he did his whole stunt that they cut out or they cut up and stuff. And then there's an ending that he talked about that's much better the way he described how he would have ended the film. Um, I think it's in... I can't remember which, uh, if it was an interview I read or if it was in his memoir, but 
yeah, he talks, he gives detail about how he would have ended it. And I think this would have been fantastic. Uh, but I'd like to see it. I don't mind the ending as things go with the movie. No, it's not a terrible ending. But, I'd but his see, ending's better. I'm sure. <laughs> I'd love to see that. I got to read what that is. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's paired with uh, one of the movies I most kind of enjoyed discovering uh, for this month, uh, a film I put on my discoveries list for last uh, last year was uh, To Find a Man. And it's a movie I just utterly love, utterly charming movie directed by Buzz Culloch. And this is also directed by Buzz Culloch. And uh, th- again, the tones in this movie are so varied. You're like talking the- about Seamus. Seamus, yeah. yeah. Burt Reynolds is Seamus. Seamus is clean. What are you doing in the tub? I'm taking a bath. Put your clothes on. Saves on a laundry bill. Seamus is dirty. Seamus is trustworthy. You can buy me. I'll give you 10000 to come up with the killer or the diamond. You just bought me. No, Seamus is friendly. You fool around. Seamus is violent. Come on, move it. Burt Reynolds is Seamus. And Seamus is a pro. He never misses. Well, hardly ever. The opening of that movie is genius. The I love the opening titles is hilarious. Just him in bed. He sleeps on a pool table. Yeah. Uh, he's in bed with a woman that he doesn't really remember who she is. I love that he's got his phone on some kind yeah, of like, contraption. Like, yeah, contraption. Yeah, like dumb waiter pull pulley. Yeah. And he never takes his cigarette out and he's like putting toothpaste yeah. on his toothbrush with his cigarette oh, hanging out. Then he puts a piece of gum in and then he puts a cigarette down. It's like he just. Yeah, it's pandemite stuff. Yeah. And later on, you, you know, after a scene where he's like been beaten by a group of men, then you see the next scene is him, you know, fully dressed in a suit in his bathtub, you know, completely full of <laughs> Water and he's just like, well, it saves you know having to do laundry. Like, just there's something so throwaway and effortless about what he brings to a yes. movie. But this is one of those roles where that's really what you're watching. Like the actual detective story stuff. I, there's moments where I was like, I can't even remember what I'm watching in terms of the story. But well, I don't it's care. actually a confusing you know? story. Yeah, it's, it's typical great noir, you know, <laughs> detective kind of work. But uh, he's really great, and it's you know essentially uh, you know one of these stories where they get hired. Actually, kind of made me think of Cutter's Way for a second, like being hired by a millionaire to kind of go investigate something that's going. End up coming full circle well, back to it's the really person. big sleep, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of classic norms. Yeah. But do you feel like it could have pushed a little bit more in the comedy? Because it's it, actually funny. I think yeah. the comedy parts are the best that. parts. Yeah, yeah. I think Me some too. of the violent kind of stuff works. I mean, there's, there's one scene in here where he seduces a, a woman in a bookstore, which I thought was just brilliant. That's straight yeah. out of the, the big whole sleep. sequence was that's gorgeous. Whole, that's, yeah, mm-hmm. he's so really fun. From the big sleep. Uh, and Diane Cannon's really fun in it. Um, John P. Ryan has a really strange cameo. Oh. I love John P. Ryan, <laughs> but a very strange cameo <laughs> as a gun runner, or not really a gun runner. He's a he's a military guy who happens to be in that business. But yeah, the actual. But even that's the great thing about these movies. He's so interesting. You're like, I could have watched. Franchise of Seamus characters, and if and it also, um, the way it starts, it almost feels like there were movies before it. Like there's a shorthand to all the characters you meet, and the guy, the person at the bar who gets the calls from. It feels like a lived-in world that existed knows, before this movie oh, yeah. started, which well, I his, love that feeling. His little sidekick guy knows yeah. all the oh, stats, yeah, yeah. ridiculous great. trivia, yeah. It's just it's a really eccentric movie and it, yeah. I think that for a lot of people if you haven't seen this one I think again it's showing off his comedic chops. It's not just him being him though. Like some of these movies I feel like he's just being himself. This right. one I think he's actually like you were saying I think the sequences he's pulling he's showing you little pantomime sequences which are really funny. I've always um, liked the poster for this movie for some yeah. reason too. It's like him and there's <laughs> like a he's got like some uh clothing that's like almost like a scarf or something yeah. hanging off. I can't even describe it. But if you look at it he looks like I don't know it's like a Marvel comics cover or something. I can't describe it but it's it's always stuck with me for some reason. 
Um, I can't believe you talked all about that, but left out the key element. The of first film. Oh. thirty seconds. The it the his co-star is Morris the cat. Oh, that's right. The yeah, actual that's right. Morris the cat. The, yeah. the nine lives. Uh, I actually wrote spokesman. that down. I forgot to mention um, that. Yes. And uh, you're I, always good with cat trivia, though. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I, I've always dreamed of pairing this with uh, you know long the long goodbye yeah, because yeah. it's detectives with Great cats. Cat movies, and yeah. uh, so if you saw all of our modern day private eye yeah, films in uh, January, uh, Seamus will be like the perfect uh, chaser here in February. It's it's really fun. It's a really interesting movie and a Sony archive print, Phil. Huh? Yeah, it's gonna look it's gonna look awesome. Excellent. Uh, and then we are jumping back to another Wednesday afternoon classic, uh, Pat and Mike, which you were just talking about uh, on the way here, Brian. Yeah, that's one I have seen, but it's been a while. I think it was Aldo Ray's that's right. first or one of his earliest. It's one of his earliest. Maybe yeah. not his first. But, um, and written by uh, both these George Cooker films that we have here were both written by Ruth Gordon, which I always think. And Garson Kane, yeah. But I just always think it's exciting because I don't know if everyone realizes they what Ruth Gordon don't. had a whole other life, you yeah. know, as a very successful writer. So, yeah. Yeah, no, this one's good. It's, uh, it's been a while, though, for this. I gotta, be, I gotta mm. be honest. I love that she's a professional athlete. I don't think you saw too many movies about women that were professional athletes and you see all these great scenes of Catherine Hepburn playing golf and tennis and she's and that's really real good. right yeah, I think yeah, she was she, a really yeah, great she's golfer very yeah. good at it there's a great single take shot of her just whacking like a whole bunch of drives and it's just the camera just lets her go and she hits every single one like really solid every time I'm like damn I've never hit a golf ball that well in my life <laughs> and did you notice another uh, another actor that showed up in that as a heavy um, Charles Bronson. Oh, that's and he, oh. And he has like a whiny scene. Yeah, and gets, she and and she clocks him. It's like oh, the wow. one time Catherine Hepburn beats the shit out of. <laughs> okay, it. we need that clip for the internet I'll put that right in. now. It's in the trailer. It it's needs great. it. Uh, that's great. Oh, that's really fun. What happened when you got there? Well, the first thing I I disengaged this fellow. How? Well, um, like um. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. Sorry. Let go of me. Let go of me. What am I around here? I'm going to kill someone around here. Am I a sack of potatoes around here or something? Yeah. Uh, but I know she was a huge... Uh, George Cooker was, I think, her favorite director to work with. I know later maybe Adam's did Rib, so much great they, stuff. Yeah, come back together. Um, so, yeah, so that's... So, obviously, this is going to be a, a fun for um, fans of this duo. This is going to be a great uh, continuing series. Uh, then we get to what is uh, arguably going to be one of the most unmissable double features, I think. Uh, they're two heavyweights, two of Burt's absolute best performances. Uh, and pretty much, I, I say it a lot, but, and people think it's weird, but it's almost my favorite American movie uh, is Deliverance. It could have been when I saw it. could have been a big part of that in my life. I started at eight. Um, oh. <laughs> I know, and I was the youngest in the family. Eight? We just got the VHS oh. player as one of the first okay, films Okay, I was going to say, you didn't see that in the theater. No, I didn't eight. see it in the theater, no, at eight. But, uh, and I will say this, and this is the only kind of personal part of this, is... Um, I had a, had this weird feeling watching this movie, which I've never had in any other movie, which was uh, in the first like 30 minutes of that movie, uh, I understood that what a man is meant to be, and this is an eight-year-old boy in New Zealand, you know, uh, <laughs> was meant to be Burt Reynolds. And I had, don't know if I've seen him in anything before this, but I was watching these different men on screen and going, oh, a man is meant to be that guy. Machines are going to fail. And the system's gonna fail. And then? And then what? Then survival. Who has the ability to survive? That's the game. Survive. And you can't wait for it to happen, can you? You can't wait for it. Well, the system's done all right by me. 
Oh, yeah. You got a nice job. Got a nice house. Nice wife. Nice kid. You make that sound rather shitty, Lewis. Why do you go on these trips with me, Ed? I like my life, Lewis. Yeah, but why do you go on these trips with me? You know, sometimes I wonder about that. Here's to you, Lewis. Got one. <laughs> Terrific, Lewis. I hate him. That's the man. He's the correct man, the masculine man. And then what I love about this movie is what happens to him and how when, when it takes a turn and he, you know, he breaks his leg in this film. It's such an interesting as a whole. This whole film as a deconstruction of masculinity to me is one of the greatest things ever made. But but especially, it's so fascinating to think back to a little boy watching like oh that's what a man is and then watching what the filmmaker then does with the narrative and the characters but Bert in this movie to me is gives one of the most interesting performances of his career yes it doesn't feel like Bert this is a character and a really interesting character and um, and just the way these men relate to each other in this and this situation it's it's utterly uh, hypnotic to me this movie and the he uh, apparently John Borman cast him by seeing him on the Tonight Show. Because mm. he thought you just could control everybody. Mm. You had, and so he thought you can play this character because you have so much control. Yeah. And when they were doing, because I interviewed all these guys in 2012 when they had an anniversary of it. So I was sitting in a room with all of the cast members, which was kind of intimidating. You wow. walk in and you're like, oh yeah. my God, they're all there, you know? And uh, they talked a lot about. Um, you know, just being on that set and working with James Dickey, yeah. who shows up, I think, as a, a sheriff. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah he's gonna, And, yeah. you know, he would call them all by their names, you know, um, because he wrote the book and he adapted the screenplay. But uh, I think uh, that movie meant so much to him because that was the movie that really people started to take him seriously. He hadn't really had a breakout role like that before. Mm. But I agree with you. I think it's such an interesting... Uh, discussion of masculinity because John Voight is the one that really yeah. has to to finish this, but I mean, and can't even shoot a deer. You know, there's so many things where yes. he can't. He's a man who can't pull the trigger, whatever that means in all the facets of his life. Yet he's the he's the everyman in that film, and Bert's the uber masculine man right. who is then reduced to being, you know, ha- who needs to basically be carried. You know, and it's it's so interesting the way they. Uh, play with all these different tropes and, uh, of different types of people. Yeah, and, and one of the things that when I was interviewing them, Bert said to me was, um, uh, Mr. Reynolds, I shouldn't call him Bert. <laughs> Shorthand, <laughs> it's a tribute. <laughs> uh, he said that, you know, women really understood this movie yeah. because they, they, they could watch, and he, he wrote this in his memoir too, that women could sit through the rape. When, he, when the movie when he first saw the movie with an audience, people were leaving and vomiting and men were freaking out. But he's like, all the women sat there. He's like, because for the first time, a woman sees, and it's like, hey, we see this all the time in cinema. This is one of the first times we've seen a man endure this. And it is still to this day such a hard scene to watch. And I can you imagine this movie getting made today? And it was a big hit. 
Yeah. I mean, I always forget how long that scene is. I too. know. It's really long. And how real it is, and 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 how you. It's not just then moved. Uh, the difference between this and what happens on screen to a lot of women in films like this is, uh, you see the impact on all the characters in this emotionally, whereas often it's just like a plot device in rape revenge movies, right? But right. In this, you literally see how everyone has to treat him now that this has happened to him, and, well, and, and trying to make him be okay and move forward, it's how different all their reactions are too. And to the, know, the reactions, not to spoil for those that haven't seen it, but yeah. to what they have to, what they feel they have to do because of it. Yeah. And then how that divides them and everything. Yeah. I, it, I was, I was listening to um, Borman's commentary and he was talking about Dickie saying these four characters were like four parts of himself and right. stuff like that. And I thought that was really intriguing just to think about the moralistic one and, you know, the masculine and the macho or whatever. And it's, it's interesting to think of it that way as four parts of one person, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I was amused by that. I'm still waiting for a spinoff with the driver brothers. I <laughs> it's the driver. You got to get the driver brothers. <laughs> I love them driver brothers. Um, there's, but, al- yeah. there's also the idea that they're going to kind of take over that river and like yeah. really, you know, and you can't, the river is going to, it'll kill you. Yeah. You know, you, if you're so masculine, you think you can take you can't that take on. on. And it's you, mother nature, right? You, yeah. So, you, it's the man versus woman in, yes. the, in nature. Yeah, it's and they lose. It's it's to me. It's as rich. I know a lot of people. And there's a new documentary analyzing Alien. But to me, this is even and even though I love Alien, I think that's a fascinating film to analyze. I feel like you can do that same amount oh. on something like a. Oh, I agree. There's just I'd all these to. layers to that for that sure. Piece. And so that 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 just utter masterpiece. Is, uh, if you haven't seen it on the big screen, even if you've seen it a million times, see it on the big screen. Yeah, because you know see that river uh, like that. Um, and then it's being paired with uh, you know obviously and and I don't want to say controversial in the sense of Burt, but obviously uh, one of his other best performances, but a movie he didn't obviously particularly appreciate at the time, uh, is uh, Boogie Nights by Paul Thomas Anderson, mm-hmm. which is, to me, one of the best films of that decade. Agree. Um, yeah. it, uh, we always compare it with Goodfellas in terms of structure. It's like, yeah. you know, the rise Big and time. fall structure, and it's just the way the camera moves. It's it's a brilliant piece of uh, cinema. Um, I don't know. Did, did you, does anyone know if by the end of his life did he appreciate Boogie Nights? Did he ever sit through the movie? I feel like he never really did did yeah, he no, I'm not sure if he ever, ever watched it okay yeah I know it's we yeah it's it is a shame because it, it's a really smart film um and it's a great performance in that he's very paternal but there's something really ominous about yeah. him and that's something that comes out in Burt Reynolds he's a very likely as that laugh he's mm-hmm. charming but he could play these very haunted characters and he and and Paul Thomas Anderson really pulled that out yeah. of him he really saw that in him that he's just a little bit you know, there's there's anger and sadness in him. And yeah. you could see that in other uh, Burt Reynolds roles. But in that one, you know, it's like how, you know, he, he just, he, uh, and maybe that's why he responded to it yeah. in that way. It wasn't just that it was in, in the pornographic world and maybe there was something about what he got out of him. Because yeah. I know sometimes actors get disturbed by... If and if they reveal too much of them, exactly, it feels yeah. like the culmination of every all his experience in his industry is all the experience this guy has had in the porn industry, and you see it all—all all that lived experience. Right, you see it, and it's very quiet in a lot of ways. Yes, and, and that—that's I think sometimes when he's doing less uh, in his more serious films, it, it really pays off. Like uh, his stillness, uh, even though I love to watch him uh, have fun. Like when we get to Hooper, and stuff, I mean, it's so much fun to yes. watch him. Uh, but I, there's something about Boogie Nights, which I think he's utterly brilliant, and he dissolves into that. That role too. Yeah, it's uh-huh. not just Bert. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. No, yeah. I totally agree. So what I'm trying to tell you, Eddie, is that it takes a lot of a good old American green stuff to make one of these things. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, you've got your camera, 
you got your film, you got your lights, you got your sound, you got your lab costs, you got your developing, you got your syncing, you got your editing. Before you turn around, you spent maybe twenty, twenty-five, $30,000 on a movie. That's a lot of money. But you're asking this. But if you make a good one, there's practically no end to how much money you can make. Have you seen Jack's house? No. He will. He'll see it. You got maybe 15, 20 guys standing around just making sure that your lighting is right. But you can work out in the morning, you can work out at noon, you can work out at night. Doesn't matter. If you don't have those juices flowing down there in the Mr. Torpedo area in the fun zone. But you got to get the people in the theater, you know, you need the big dicks, the big tits. Uh-oh. Here we go. How do you keep them in the theater after they've come? With beauty? And with acting? No, I understand. You've got to get them in the theater, you know? you got to keep the seats full. But I don't want to make a film where they show up, they sit down, they jack off, and they get up and they get out before the story ends. It is my dream. It is my goal. It is my idea to make a film that the story just sucks them in. And when they spurt out that joy juice, they just gotta sit in it. They can't move until they find out how the story ends. You know, I wanna make a film like that. And I understand, you know, they have to make films. I bait them myself, you know, that are a few laughs. Everybody fucks their brains out and that's fine. It's my dream to make a film that is true and right and dramatic. Could it be something along the lines of it, it being seen as sort of a comeback role for him and maybe him not wanting to look at it that way as well? I'm, I'm always maybe. wondering if that could affect somebody like that. Maybe not. Probably that's a and he didn't. I mean, and he didn't fully get to capitalize on the comeback at that point. I mean, he still did a couple interesting roles, obviously, but uh, I think if maybe embraced it completely, maybe it would have been different. You what if know. he won the Oscar, though? Exactly. I mean, yeah. he, he should have won, I think. He should have won. I don't know who yeah. won that's for supporting that year. Um, did he win the Golden Globe that year? I feel like he... I feel like he won a few things. I feel like things. he won some, a couple things leading but up to it. if he won the Oscar, he may have changed his right. mind it's about true. that. Yeah, no, it's it, <laughs> it, it, it really... But that that is a double where you're putting two just heavyweight movies yeah. together. And I think if anyone hasn't seen them on the big screen, uh, I, I, I 100% sure... Yeah, I'm two of the greatest those. of those decades, too. I think too. so. Yeah. And he's and he's fantastic in both. Um, you can spend Valentine's Day. Oh, it's on there. the 14th. Oh yeah, you're right. 14th and 14th. Uh, really? Anyone who watches Deliverance on Valentine's Day, you have yes. my heart. If that is, if the Driver Brothers Honey, are your like Valentine's I'm, sh- I'm showing up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think I'll go on the 13th, <laughs> but that's just me. Uh, but either way, those, those are great fun. And uh, after that high, you would think there's nowhere to go, but um, you actually get to maybe my favorite other Burt movie, which is uh, White Lightning. Oh, yeah. It's just utterly terrific. And pr- one of his great characters, Gator McCluskey, uh, being paired with The Longest Yard. This is a great double, too. Yeah, this yeah. is one of the best yeah. of the month, for sure. My name's Gator McCluskey. You know why I'm here, don't you? I said, you know why I'm here, don't you? Bird Reynolds is Gator McCluskey. He's a booze running, motor gunning, law breaking, love making rebel. Yeah! 
he hits the screen like a bolt of white lightning. Whether he's racing the law. Gonna be in trouble now. Or chasing the ladies. I don't believe in fooling around, none. You want to just say so. <laughs> Gator's the fastest thing alive. Ooh, now I know why they call you Gator. Only two things in the world I'm scared of. What's that? Women and the police. And I actually saw White Lightning for the first time, believe it or not, at New Bip about two years ago when it was played with Navajo Joe, um, which I enjoyed a lot too. Actually, it was a really well-made film. Mm -hmm. But this is like, it feels like a role made for Bert. I mean, if any of these characters are the most Bert for me, it might be Gator. I mean, much more so in this film than Gator. When he directs himself, it's it's almost too freewheeling. Yeah. Gator's fun, has some great drunk yes. sequences where he's playing drunk. I love that. But this movie's tight, taut. It's uh, Joseph Sargent directed it. Yes. To taking a poem one, two, yeah, three. I, I, I wondered why he didn't do the sequel. I was like, would have been nice to get him back for Gator. But um, I think Hal Needham was the uh, was he the uh, st he did stuff. For, he was the first. Uh, he was first CD or something. Yeah, oh, okay. something like that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And you can see it in the, the car chase sequences, which are fantastic yes. in this yeah. film. Really artfully shot, too. I mean, they're really well done. I mean, there's so many shots, too, in the film that they, they seem deceptively not showy, but they're really interesting. And all of the character actors are great. Mm. Ned Beatty, of course. A year course. later. It's a year after Deliverance, yeah. And it's also the tone. This is also a gothic, southern gothic crime film. It's not just a, a you know, lighthearted uh, no. burnt role, yeah. like, which, which Gator kind of becomes. This one's actually really, I mean, it opens with a really dark opening where his brother's being like shot yes. out, on the, no. out on the lake, and it's like quite disturbing, a shotgun blast, and uh, Ned Beatty playing kind of a bad, bad dude. Ned Beatty, did you yeah. notice that he kind of looks like, um, and this isn't an insult to either of them, yeah. but he looks a little bit like Dick Cheney is Christian Bale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's channeling that a little right. bit. Uh, well, he's and, also pre-sort pre, uh, of setting up his Toy Story 3 character. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a great score, too, by Charles Bernstein. Oh, I yes. love that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think Quentin's used Did tracks he, from it. I think he used his... it in, in Bastards, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that great... Oh, I want to say it's it's in the trailer, but I can't remember where it plays. It's also in, in the scene where he's like walking out of the yes. like kind of infirmary, infirmary in the prison, and like just walk. It's when he escapes, yeah. he just yeah. walks Great out. Great piece of music. Yeah. If you like the Last American Hero from in January, and you like Thunder Road, this also has some moonshine uh, oh, running yeah. and and Gator. You know, some incredible driving sequences in this movie. Uh, yeah. I just I think this is like just one of those absolute gems. If you can see it for the first time in your life on a screen, you are lucky because that's how I felt after I saw this one. I love those sweaty seventies movies. Oh, yeah. too, where you yeah. can like smell everything you know you <laughs> can smell the chickens you can just, like the sweatiest yeah. of all time <laughs> and him seducing his uh, his friend's girlfriend yes. there's a sequence in there that I just it's so only Bert and I think he does that in quite a few films seducing yeah. someone who's in the other room you know it's like it's it's kind of fantastic I, I think it's I think it's a little bit underseen uh, for I think at so, this yeah. point in terms yeah. of like how much love Smoking the Bandit gets and, right. and obviously like we said this is a bit more emotionally it has some more emotional depth to it than you would think a, yeah. a quote-unquote good old boy car chase movie would have. And I think it's part of the reason it's so good. But I do think not enough people have seen White Lightning, in my mind. Yeah. You know, they've seen other Burt movies. They've maybe seen 
the longest yard. Maybe they've seen some of the other ones playing later in the month. But well, and out of all of these, it's, it's the most the kind of serious of the '70s. Um, you know, as a crime film too, not just as the Burt film. I think it really works well as one of those lost, you know, films from that period that we all love—the prime cuts. All these movies, Absolutely. we're always trying to totally. find that one other gem in there. Could and this play is with prime cut. Yeah, yeah, it's a good love prime cut. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, it's not playing, guys. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, but it will at some example, point, I bet. <laughs> example of the kind of movie it is. Yeah. I think that's great. And then we get uh, football. Uh, football, Burt. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll get a couple times this month, but the longest yard is. Uh, is really a, a deeply entertaining film. Burt Reynolds, the electricity that turns on the most outrageous team in football, the Mean Machine, supercharged and power-driven to the longest yard. Burt Reynolds, the quarterback who will tackle anything. Driver's license. Oh, look what we got here, a miniature cop. <laughs> the superstar. I feel so good. Get off of me. The stud. <laughs> the all-American. <laughs> the all-amazing. A joker of a jock who laughed all the way to prison. Paul Crew. The wrecking crew. Anybody who is pro football's most valuable player's got something special. Did you ever do it standing up? All right, let's move it. A hero so special, he gets special treatment. They'll put you in the oven. Rise and shine. It's room service. (laughs) How do you like the battles? Superstar. I lived in Savannah for a while, so I remember seeing some of those scenes. I, I think some of it's set, set in Savannah and Georgia. I think it's shot all around those kind of spots. But uh, um, this is not the Adam Sandler film. No. If we need to make that clear, which I'm which sure you're a fan of. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that's, that's right. right. He, is, he is too. This is directed by Robert Aldrich, yeah. yes. of course. Dirty yep. Dozen, Incredible. among other things. And he also did Hustle with uh, oh, with, him, with mm-hmm. Bert. And Catherine yeah, yeah, and Ken. Be, yeah, and Bert was really a football player, and I mean that play obviously plays out um, in Adam's was film. It, from it wasn't, last year. yeah. Well, didn't Adam say Hustle was actually one of his favorite underrated Bert movies? Oh I yeah, feel like he yeah, said he that did, on yeah. our episode. Yeah, um, but also you get Edie Albert as a, a you know uh, the evil warden, and uh, right. even even more fun as uh, Ed Lauder. Oh, and oh he's there. great. It's, it's my team. You know, it's there's a lot of fun cameos in this. Uh, and it's, it's great. yeah, it's it's a hard, it's a pretty hard boil for a football movie. Oh it's yeah, the whole opening, movie, se- yeah. the whole opening sequence yeah. when he's like pushing his girlfriend and he's being basically kind of capped by oh, yeah. this rich woman and yeah, he gets in weird. his car and he like it, it, what Leonard Skinner's playing yeah. and he like <laughs> I love it when he like he just like the cars stop and he just tips it into the water like fuck it yeah. and then like you know he goes <laughs> to the bar and the it's that opening is fantastic yeah it's almost and, a little bit like Paul Newman and Colin Luke in the in the inane yes. way in which he's imprisoned yes. and then look at how, what an impact it has once he's in prison neither of these guys did anything particularly big to get themselves there but once they're there they're in the shit I like that he's learned something from the prisoners too because he's really a sleazy guy in the yeah. beginning he like sold out his players he what was he what do you shaving he, points yeah yeah shaving right. points yeah. so he's like just this really unscrupulous terrible guy and then he gets there and he kind of it could be cliche but it's actually quite touching yeah that he feels that way about them and i love the if will i ruin it if i if i talk about the last scene because i, I love the last so. scene i feel like, like a couple of these movies have been around that's a classic where movie. they're like where eddie albert's like shoot him shoot yeah, yeah. him you yeah. know and he's just like walking over there to pick up the ball you yeah, know yeah. and it's yeah 
That's well, I a, love uh, James Hampton in this movie, mm-hmm. like the dad from Teen Wolf. Everybody knows him yeah, from that, that's right, but yeah. he's a really great sort of kind of sidekick, um, emotional core character mm-hmm. to this movie. And then also Richard Keel has a little yeah. spark. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's a monster in there. Yeah. Uh, but it, for anyone, if you don't know what we're even talking about, it's, you know, uh, it's about a quarterback who gets put in jail. But once he's there, he's they, they want to have the uh, – the inmates versus the uh, guards, guards uh, football game, and then of course he's asked to throw the game at a key moment, and it's it also you know in another movie we talk I talk a lot about because I love it so much, but it also he has a little bit of um uh of a, one flew over the cookies nice five in terms of like he's gonna sure. lay down himself for these people who he usually should, wouldn't have given a fuck about before yes. he was here, but now it's like all right you guys are. No one's going to do anything for you. Well, and it's so a, I sports, have a chance to do sports that. movie on yeah. top of that, yeah. which I'm totally a sucker for for whatever reason. Yeah. So all those things together really make yeah. it. And it's Robert Altry because he's a fucking great director. Yes. Yeah, um, but that is an awesome powerhouse double bill. And White Lightning, when we reopened in mm. 2014, Quentin, such a huge fan, he actually struck a new film print of it. Wow. So we've been, that's what we're going to be running. That's what I saw, and it was pristine. Was it 2014 when I would have seen that then? I think so. It could have been, okay. But yeah, yeah. you can really, the the sweat will be like slicking (laughs) off the screen. (laughs) Yeah. That's fantastic. What Uh, a great movie. But those, yeah, I think those two are really great. And uh, another tie-in, because I always love when we, any catches we get of the puzzle of the, that is the map, it has the same, longest yard, same producer as The Godfather. Um, So anyway, that's that's heavily advertised in its uh, campaign. So Um, cool. So that takes us, through, I'm going to be lost now. You we might can either do the, the kitty matinee or, or midnight? the midnight. Let's go to midnight. Go oh, we're, we're going to talk about the uh, flying deuces. No, no. The, uh, we're going to get to that next. Okay. Yeah. But uh, first, we're going to go into the Saturday, February uh, 16th. We're going to be doing D.A. Pennebaker's classic concert oh. film, Monterey Pop. Yes. We're really nervous, but we love you all, man, because this is very groovy, man. Monterey is very groovy, man. This, this, is, this is something, man. This is... This is our generation, man. All you people, are, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. Which was like... No, because the Who destroyed everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, that's the historic pre-Woodstock yeah. uh, 1967 uh, Monterey International Pop Festival. I grew up near Monterey, so that has been flowing in my blood my entire mm. life. Um, but there are just incendiary performances by yeah. The Who and Otis Redding Otis and then Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy. you know, Huge. sets everything I think fire. it's better than Woodstock if we're going to talk about overall performances. Mm-hmm. And, and Not that we need to bag on Woodstock, but Woodstock gets a lot of press for being the, you know, concert movie of its period. And I think this is stunning. It's well, amazing. I feel like the, the Otis Redding sequences <sighs> are so incredible. Um you know, and it's it's touching too because he's going to die. Uh, it was released after he died, if I'm oh, if I'm right. Yeah. He died in 1967, age 26. So the film was shot in 67, right? Because mm-hmm. it was released in 68. I think I've got that right. But I mean, he that wonderful. I've been loving you too long, and how that shot is so beautiful. And then he, he sings "Try a Little Tenderness." One of my issues. I love the movie is when. You know, he cuts to all the women, and I'm like, <laughs> and halfway, and then it gets back to Otis. But I'm like, I don't, I, don't I like the other stuff. No, I want to see Otis oh, Redding yeah. singing this. And then, of course, there's Hendrix. That's just he lights his guitar on fire. Yeah. He outdoes Pete Townsend oh, in the Who. Sure. He smashes his guitar. He lights it on fire, and then he smashes it. <laughs> that is just like seeing something. That I mean, it's so great to see something like that on the big screen because you kind of feel like you're watching a concert. You know, when you see it that big and. It'd be like seeing the greatest concert of all time. It's also yeah. just an 80-minute condensed version of just the best. Yes. 
it's it, an Omega Man where he's watching Woodstock. He watches Woodstock. Yeah, but I, I love that feeling. Like you're the last person in that. That's what you do. Probably concert movies would be the best because yeah. you would just feel so alive and you'd see humans and you know. Yeah. It's, it's kind of great. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. It's really good. Uh, so that's at uh, the two sixteen midnight, and that's going to be the uh, four track mag print too. So oh. it's going to have stereo. Sound. And we mentioned that was D A Panabaker, right? Yeah. The yep. director. Yeah. Yep, and then uh, the Kitty. Well, uh, Pulp Fiction we've already mentioned is on the on the fifteenth, but on the sixteenth and seventeenth, uh, I, I haven't seen this one. Uh, uh, the Kitty is Flight of the Doves, uh, a very Irish. Uh, I haven't seen that either. Orphans uh, running away from their uncle, Norval. who's a master of disguise. And I saw one clip, which was total kinder trauma of this movie, where the <laughs> uncle is like on stage performing a Jekyll and Hyde act that was just actually quite terrifying. Um, so now it kind of go- grabbed my attention that one scene. But it's they're directed by Ralph Nelson, who made Charlie with the. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, R backwards. Uh, I don't know much about this one. This is the first I'd heard of it. I, I have not seen it. I know yeah. that it's been incredibly difficult to see for a number mm-hmm. of years. I know that Sony put out, uh, I think, a, like a manufactured on demand yeah. uh, hmm. DVD you can get on Amazon, but I don't think it was on video before that. But I think the key marketing when it came out is that it reteams uh, Jack Wilde and Ron Moody from Oliver. Ah. So I think that's the puzzle oh, the piece here. Okay, cool. um, but it's set, you know in Ireland with two orphans trying to get to their grandmother's house because their stepfather or whatnot is is evil and they're about is he to uncle or stepfather I'm not, uncle, I, I, think, think. I think I think there's a, I think there's an uncle and a stepfather oh, oh, double um, and they are set to inherit some money of course which means the uncle wants them yeah. under his guard um, so it's them fleeing across the country, and then the uncle is the master of disguise. Yeah, that's the part that is, grabs me. Uh, I guess there's lots of like segments or vignettes where he tries to fool them into thinking that he's someone else. Or and I think it's okay. one thing it's famous for, and I, I listened to one of the songs on it. I think it has a title track that's "You Don't Have to Be Irish to Be Irish," and it's like a big kind of Irish parade song. And it looked actually pretty fun. It looked. I can't believe it hasn't become a St. Patty's Day, you know, uh, icon. <laughs> but uh, it, it looked like a really interesting film, uh, to be honest. Especially the clip I saw, which did look dark. It didn't, you know, it didn't look. It looked definitely in contrast to some of the lighter uh, songs that are in it. So that yeah. one looks interesting. Yeah, and I'm excited. It's going to be one of those. Sony archive prints that has never played oh, cool. on screen for an audience before. So I think a lot of us will be watching that one for the first mm-hmm. time. Nice. Uh, then you have your French Foreign Legion double. On the 17th and 18th. Going to walk us through those? I haven't seen these two. So Flying Deuces, Laurel and Hardy, and the Marty Feldman film last remake of Beau Geste. Kim, did you say, do you have something for? Uh, oh well, I love the Laurel and Hardy film. Yeah, it was yeah. the film the I think it's the best non Hal Roach Laurel Laurel oh, and Hardy okay. vehicle. Um, it's just a really beautiful film, and I love them. I yeah, don't know yeah, how you no, feel I, about I'm them. Thinking, oh yeah, big time. And there's just so many little moments that are very funny. Like uh, there's a great scene where. Ollie is uh, sad about a woman, and uh, they he convinces uh, Stan Laurel to come down with him to like I guess the docks or something to kill him. He's going to kill himself, and he ropes him up, and then he like ropes up Stan Laurel, and they are, like you got to come with me, and he kind of doesn't want it, but then he kind of agrees, and then they start having this discussion about what are they going to come back in their next life, and one. Two. Ollie. What? I just thought of something. Listen, you remember once you were telling me that when we passed away, we'd come back on this earth in some other form, like a bird or a dog or a 
horse or something. Oh, you mean reincarnation. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, now that we're going to go, what would you like to be when you come back? I don't know. I've never given it much thought. I like horses. I guess I'd like to come back as a horse. Huh. What would you like to be when you come back? Oh, I'd rather come back as myself. I always got along swell with me. I you mean, can't come back as yourself. Now, come on and stop wasting my time. Are you ready? Goodbye, Ollie. Goodbye. One. Two. Ollie, just thought of something. Do you think the water's deep enough? Maybe you might bump your head if it isn't just... Well, I never thought of that. And then they get somehow, you know, get out of this, but the whole idea that they're going to both kill themselves, um, it I, it's very hard to describe Laurel and the Hardy routines on a podcast <laughs> yeah, and do them any justice. Yeah. But And then there's a beautiful um, scene where uh, he sings uh, Shine on Harvest Moon and they dance, and it's, it's, a, it's a lovely film. I think... Uh, I think kids, I hope kids like it because uh, I loved watching Laurel and Hardy when I was a kid. Yeah, and... that, that was huge for me watching them. It, it, yeah. It's just one of those duos you instantly fell in love with. I haven't seen the new film about their life. I haven't either. I really want to see it. Yeah, I, I, I keep hearing good things about the performances, but I haven't heard many people discuss the film. I just he- keep hearing about the performances. Phil, did you see it? So. I haven't Not seen yet. it yet. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. seem to have played too much, Okay, unfortunately. Interesting. Um, and, the la- and then you have uh, the broad satire uh, um, and Marty Feldman, you know, directing this as well, which is interesting. I um, haven't seen that. I no, want to see. I want to see a Marty Feldman directed and film. It, and it had a wild cast and looked just completely madcap and very satirical. Looked like it was very much about consumerism. And we interrupt this commercial to bring you a commercial. I want to tell you something. You want a good set of humps? Come to Camelot. I've got here the best deals in town. Look at this here. This is a beautiful animal. This happens to be a convertible. You take off the hump, you put on a couple dots. What do you got in the summer? You got a giraffe. The kids will love it. Despite his looks, Marty Feldman's no fool. He put in action, love, tragedy, spectacle, tears, camels, soldiers, a cast of thousands, lunch. Yes, this is the one they said couldn't be made. Uh-huh. The motion picture that asks the unforgivable question. Where is the boot? What? Where? Here. Where? It. What? Gone. I'll talk. I'll talk. Marty Feldman's The Last Remake of Beaujet. But I, I knew nothing about this film. I don't think I'd even heard of this one before, had you? I'd heard of it. It's it's gotten spotty releases on okay. home video, a Laserdisc release. I think recently a DVD, maybe. Yeah, I think it's one of those like Universal Archive yeah. MOD discs. Yeah, but no Blu-ray, I don't think yet. And yeah, just a genuine, genuinely underseen Marty Feldman effort. But it has Anne Margaret looking beautiful, Trevor Howard, a lot of interesting people in there. Yeah. And if you Anne Margaret, oh, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Immediately familiar with uh, Marty Feldman, he's the very distinctive uh, looking uh, fellow from uh, Young Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. He's great. Um, and then I think on the 18th, which is the Monday, the matinee, that's going to be uh, President's Day or Washington's birthday. So we're going to celebrate with. Uh, 
Carl Franklin's Devil in a Blue Dress starring mm-hmm. Denzel Washington. Great movie. Just a couple nights ago, I rewatched this on the Twilight Time disc, and it really holds up. I mean, Carl yeah. Franklin's a really great director. Yeah. The, the thing that surprised me is how big it feels. There's certain set moments where you've, you know, LA Confidential movies like that, you know, they had these big budgets to, you know, replicate LA. I can't imagine this had a, you know, enormous budget, and yet they nail it. This this community that they really uh, are kind of like dialed into, and and the costume and the set design. Yes. Of this. Uh, the characters, the way they interact and speak, the, the language in this film just feels really uh, real to me. Um, yeah. But the thing that I had forgotten and made me just scratch my head like, where is he right now, was Don Cheadle comes into this movie oh, oh, yeah. like a bolt of electricity. Yes. Like, you just, you're not ready for him. Damn it! Damn, what's wrong with you, man? Don't you ever grab me when I got a gun in my hand? Shit! Got blood on my coat, easy. It's a damn expensive coat. Where's your bathroom at, man? Is it in there? Now we got to go find that girl so we can get that money, huh? Hell no, we don't have to go find nobody. I done changed my mind. I don't need your kind of help, Mouse. Boy, look at you. Man, cut a damn smile in your neck. You gonna tell me you don't need my kind of help? See, this is the same shit you pulled five years ago when you killed old man never shedding them. You ain't even been in my house five minutes and you done shot somebody already, Mouse. Come on, Easy. Come in on this thing, man. No. Easy, I'm trying to do right. I'm, I mean, you know, now. <laughs> Come on, man, I can help you. Now, you know you're gonna need somebody at your back. I swear I'm gonna let you run the show. Oh, you gonna let me run the show. Well, I ain't gonna do nothing you don't tell me to do. Ain't you nothing. You gonna let me run the show. You gonna do everything I say? Man, I'm gonna do everything you say. That's the wrong hand, Mom. Oh. <laughs> Man, boy, you been? And when he does it, animates the entire film. He's a total thug, gangster, friend of his. Mouse. That just Yeah, gets him yeah. into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> uh, and when he, at the end of this movie, I just was going, yeah, where, I haven't seen Don and anything. Like, personally, I know he's been doing a lot of TV. Marvel stuff. But, yeah, maybe, oh, Marvel then, stuff. Okay, well, that's, you know, that's always his, a good he's reason. Still people he did that uh, Miles Davis thing. Yeah, but he's so good. No, and then I remember great. him in PTAA films, and I think, like, now that Daniel Day-Lewis is retired, why not just make Don Cheadle films? Like, Paul Thomas Anderson making two-hour Don yeah. Cheadle films is <laughs> I'm into that (laughs) if he would hit that but Jennifer Beals is really really you know she's obviously the title devil in the blue dress and she's very ambiguous and you don't get to see too much of her she's left as a you know uh, the central mystery in a lot of ways Uh, Tom Sizemore you know uh, comes in a little bit he's not he's not in it too much uh, as a bad guy but this yeah this movie holds up and it's uh, you know I think Denzel if if you're uh, if you're somebody who finds Denzel to be your jam in terms of the hotness Denzel brings this has got to be this is a Denzel. This is a peak Denzel, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he's so fantastic yeah. in it. He's so... Easy Rollins. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot, of, you know, at stake for him there. I mean, the way it starts out with the stories that he's mm-hmm. just, he got laid off from a job and yeah. he kind of just stumbles into this. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting. And very working class. Like he wants to own a house to own it. Right. It's important to him to come home to saying he owns. So the stakes are really relatable, I think. That's the yes. thing. You know how sometimes the film set in a different period, you are already kind of lost because of the time jump, I guess. But with this, right. it's like, nope, it's all things that you can relate I to. I guess right the stakes are high for a regular person. Like yeah. to get a house would be a big deal yeah. for him. Whereas and private yeah. detectives aren't usually like real people. Yes. I think they ground him. He's not really, he never feels like a private detective, even though it's that homes, kind of movie. Usually. Yeah. They have yeah. apartments or they live in their office or yeah. whatever. 
but um, but yeah, you know, it's for, yeah, definitely as a Chandler, LA, that you know, it really feels. Well, I, I think written it's by Walter Mosley. Yeah, Walter Mosley. Yeah. Oh. And this, he, they did make another one, right? They didn't. They make another one with the, another Mosley inspired, and I think Denzel played the character again some, at some point. Or am I wrong on I that? I can't remember. I thought he did a loose second film to this, like we're, twenty we're years later. <laughs> we'll check it out. It doesn't. <laughs> either way, you should be seeing I this film. In I think it's interesting you brought up *LA Confidential*, which you know is a much beloved movie, and I like it. But uh, I'll watch *Devil in a Blue Dress* in a second over yeah. that every time. It's yeah. it's really really. Great. Well, and they do feel like they could be the same world. I think they both get details totally. and periods so well that you could see the characters. But I think the difference is geographic. I think yeah, this is a absolutely. different part of LA that you don't get to see with this kind of detail, and by a black director. You know that those details that he's pulling out, especially just the parts where like Denzel looks around his neighborhood and sees kids playing and just yes. idiosyncratic things that I think other people might not have picked up on who have never been to these neighborhoods. Real you know? Yeah, C- Carl Franklin, I feel like every month we have the the one uh, filmmaker who like grew up in the, the Corman school yeah. and he made some films for Corman in the late 80s, early yeah. 90s, like Full Fathom 5 and a couple other like real just B-level stuff. But then he... Went from that and did uh, One False Move, yeah. which is just... Have you t- shown that yet? Have we shown that yet? I don't that think be... we've played it recently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I recently wa- yeah. rewatched wow. it when Bill Paxton uh, passed yeah. away, and mm-hmm. that movie is Tight. Yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he went from there to Devil in a Blue Dress, and that movie was kind of a, a box office disappointment. Um, and yeah, I which feel is like too bad. People yeah. just keep discovering it, and it feels like it hasn't aged a day. Maybe it's because no. it's set in you know post-World War II yeah. or whatever, but it... It feels like they could have made this movie today. It's very fresh. And yeah. the political story of the, the the noir part of the story and the uh, political uh, side of it, because it is about a politician uh, and you know and photos. I don't want to ruin the what the what the thing is, which is uh, the central mystery. But it's stuff that could be relevant to what we're watching every right. night with our political leaders yeah. and sexual affairs and people being paid, you know all these kind of all these kind of things running through it. So uh, yeah, great movie. Yep, definitely highest recommendation. And then uh, into two that I know. Uh, Brian, you've definitely seen these recent uh, Blu-rays. Um, both of these I haven't seen yet, so this could be how I should see it, the Jama Fenneca double feature. Um, I know I know a lot of people have been posting in the last year, you know, Welcome Home, Brother Charlie, uh, Charles, yeah, Charlie coming out, and Penitentiary, obviously. There's three of those, pen- three Penitentiaries he made, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, but you guys fans of these these films? I haven't seen either of these. Yeah, I like them. I'm curious what Phil thinks about Yeah, them. I think yeah. Jamal Fanaka is one of the most interesting filmmakers mm-hmm. in Los Angeles in the 70s. Yeah. So he was uh, part of the, the like, L.A. Rebellion uh Coalition with Charles Burnett be part of that exactly from UCLA mm-hmm. and, all that. Yeah. and uh, Jamal Fanaka was actually a UCLA student when he made these movies. Oh, okay. So wow. that makes sense then. Yeah, he made these two plus another film called MMA while he was a UCLA student. Oh, wow. They I found distribution that. while he was a student. Oh, jeez. MMA was like his thesis project, I think. Wow. And uh, well, well, I think I think Killer Sheep was Charles Burnett's thesis too. So and that's crazy. they are an interesting. They're interesting for a number of reasons. They trade in a lot of like exploitation elements, mm-hmm. and uh, they were certainly marketed that way. But they have this like deep, deep subtext of like about racial in- inequality. And uh, hmm. Welcome Home, Brother Charles, the second film on this double bill, is <laughs> wild. <laughs> I um, believe something about his genitalia. Yeah, well, I don't want to give it away, but it has okay. uh, one of the most unforgettable endings in film okay. history, <laughs> All right. let alone grindhouse film history. It is uh, something that you, you have to see to be believed. But yeah. basically, in penitentiary, uh, 
the Leon Isaac Kennedy gets framed, uh, railroaded, gets sent uh, to prison, and he just finds out the bleak reality of the dehumanizing world of the mm-hmm. state penitentiary. And uh, the only thing that can kind of uplift him there is uh, through his fists. So he finds the world of under uh, like underground boxing. Okay. And it's not, let's say, like, uh, what was that, Undisputed or whatever, which is kind of, you know, mm-hmm. like, fun or, you know, like Rocky, which is uplifting. This is like brutal and very sweaty. So we got a lot of sweaty movies uh, (laughs) this this month and bloody and just incredibly violent. Mm -hmm. And I I really like it. Brian, are you a fan? Yeah, uh, no, no, definitely. I I like, uh, uh, I want to say all three of them, the penitentiary Yeah, I think the third one was made by Cannon. So that one, yeah, that one gets a little more nuts. But two has some really interesting stuff in it, too. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I think uh, Fanaka is a really interesting filmmaker. I did not know that about his uh, making all three of those films as a student. That's insane. That's cool. Yeah, and then in, in Welcome Home, Brother Charles, uh, a guy gets out of prison and uh, basically tracks down uh, the racist uh, police officer and judge that sent him up on a, a bogus charge. And there's an element to that revenge that is... <laughs> uh, you 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 should just come and you should see it and not, not know in advance because nothing I can tell you will prepare you for it. Yeah, it's not like anything I've seen in another film ever. So, have but, you seen these, Kim? I've not seen it. Let's go to these, Kim. <laughs> Let's make sure we see this I on know. that Tuesday. Because now know. I need to know. I, I have a feeling I, I read too much about this, but uh, yeah. might know, but I still want but my mind blown. It'd be yeah. pretty crazy for people to see and not know what's yeah. going on. I will be the person uh, sitting next to you, staring at your reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You uh, need those filmed reaction videos that they yeah. do for like Paranormal Activity, but for this. Yes. Oh, <laughs> for yeah. the new Bev. This would be it's a like, great oh audience. Uh, yeah. A holy Going fucking shit it. moment. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Well, that that definitely sounds like too that uh, people a lot of people won't have seen these. It's just that they've finally come to disc, obviously, which is great. Uh, were they Vinegar Syndrome? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in uh, the prints that we're going to be playing of these are uh, when Jamal Fanaka died mm-hmm. in the last decade. He donated his collection and all his negatives and everything to the UCLA Film and Television oh. Archive, and uh, they have new prints that they struck for an LA Rebellion uh, oh, series cool. a couple of years ago. So thanks to UCLA Film and Television Archive. Um, our friends at Xenon, Vinegar Syndrome, uh, and the American Genre Film Archive, we're going to be able to do the, this show. Speaking cool. of great UCLA people, it's Jack Hill's birthday today, right? Yes. So oh. another UCLA alum. Um, okay, so then we are back to Burke. Oh, no, we're not. Wednesday Afternoon Classic. Uh, this one I don't know. Desk, desk set. Walter Lane King and I director. Um, Gig Young as well, added yeah. to the uh, Tracy Hepburn. Have you seen this one? I have seen this. It's 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 not my favorite Tracy, Tracy and Hepburn. You've seen this one, yeah, too? Yeah, it's, it's not their m- most classic one. Yeah. No. Uh, I think it's their last romantic comedy that they made. They uh, still made yeah, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner after this, but mm-hmm. that's not no. so romantic. <laughs> no. <laughs> this but one's it, about it, computers? And yes, that. it has a lot of charm, though. I like, you know, I, I like the color cinematography. I like some of the supporting cast, like Joan Blondell. And, oh, always. And, yeah, and I love that... Uh, I love that she's a she works in a library, and I, I love that they have these jobs. You don't really see movies about women having these jobs and working on this kind of crazy supercomputer. At the yeah. end, it kind of becomes this monster computer. So it's it's a very enjoyable film, but it's not up there. In the I think it's worth seeing though. I would I've never seen it on the big screen, so I would love to see that color film on the big screen. And and sometimes when you see them on the big screen, you notice more. 
and you appreciate it more. I've what what I like when we put together series mm. like this, uh, you can kind of you know we're leading with Woman of the Year and closing with Adam's Rib, so you kind of got like the big bookends, mm-hmm. yeah. and then in the middle you can kind of program some a little deeper cuts that yeah. maybe you wouldn't program by itself just mm-hmm. because it's not the most famous or the yeah. most popular. But it's still worth seeing and but, still very But enjoyable. when you watch them all together, you can see their chemistry. Yeah, yeah um, totally. Building, and then that's, you know, right near the end, and it's just alive on screen. Right, uh, and they're older, you know, and they're yeah. still, they've still got it, and it's still... Um, I, it's still kind of in that same idea that they have, uh, that Catherine Hepburn always had. She always was kind of had a job and they're 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 modern people in the world that uh she's not just a homemaker you know she it's always there's always a little bit of a feminist bent yeah she's very professional yeah she's it's, very professional is it a and, tv research department she works for or something like that what is it what I is it we, we're trying right. to remember because I, I remember the supercomputer but i remember um, it's a christmas movie though supercomputer yeah. looking at that it is New a christmas it is a or? it is a christmas movie yeah it, do you think that two extremely strong personalities clash over the computerization <laughs> of a television network's research that's department, right yeah i guess the television the supercomputer do you think that's the same supercomputer from the fly because it looks like exact it looks like the exact panel because I've seen that in William Malone's house. Uh, he might have sold it since, but he owns that. He still that. has it. Yeah, wow. he has that panel. Oh, wow. But I, when I saw the trailer to this, I was like, well, I think that's the exact same massive computer panel. It probably was used for... Well, I should go see life. it yeah. again because I have not seen that movie in so long. It was when I, you know, you go through the phase and you watch yeah, everything thing, yeah. mm-hmm. and you're like, you know, in your 20s and you're watching every single thing and you kind of yeah. should go back and yeah. look. So maybe it's a lot better than I remember, even though I really was charmed by it. Yeah, I think it's charming, and we yeah. we're gonna have uh, a fantastic print. This one's coming from the Fox Archive. Very nice. Oh, I gotta see it then. Yeah, I like movies about old computers for some reason. It's oh well, then you'll like it. <laughs> it's entertaining. No, I've seen it. I've seen it. Oh, I remember okay. liking it, but just yeah. in general, I think old computers are I don't know always <laughs> amusing to me. Um, all right, so that's the twentieth. Yep, we're back into Bert. And more Bert. And I, I in one this of, is one know, of the best ones. Yeah, yeah, I watched it again last night, and Hooper is so much fun. Bert Reynolds is Hooper, and Hooper is a real hero. He can take more crashes. Oh, jeez! More fire. Ah. Hello, gorgeous. More love. More hits. He can take more risks and have more fun than anyone can imagine. This is Cooper, the story of the greatest stuntman of them all, and his competition. Wait a year and a half to meet you. How's that? I get to perform with Sonny Hooper. Oh, hell, that ain't no big deal. I mean, Burt Reynolds, Jan Michael Vincent, Sally Field. I'm yours. Brian Keith, James Best, Robert Klein, and Terry Bradshaw. In Hooper's world, talk is cheap, and life is cheaper. We may be in trouble. A stunt is a gag, and a gag is no laughing matter. Bam! Building falls on you, crushes you, fade out the end. Great, Roger. Of course, we'll have a dozen cameras going. And when the director yells, Action! Go! 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 I'm gonna hit it! He really means action. 
Yeah. And 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 just even the opening where you're just seeing his battle scarred body. Yes. It looks like he's preparing for a football game, but it's to get into you know the leathers for a uh, a stunt, a motorbike stunt. But everything about Bert's personality feels like it's on offer in this film. Uh, how directed by Hal Needham, who was a great stuntman. Yeah. I, I read some review yesterday. that was like, you know, the stuntman did this so much better. They're such different movies. It's such a stupid I don't comparison. Even think, yeah. But it, it was on Letterboxd. Somebody's comparing. I'm like, that doesn't even. The one's a thriller. This is a. This really so is different. one of the great movies about movies and stunts and uh, and and Sally Field. Because <laughs> to me, she is so delightfully charming and small in this movie. She's like so yeah. little. They're having a giant bar fight, and she's just trying to eat her steak, <laughs> and people will be falling. I, I thought great. that was such a great sequence. But uh, this this if if people haven't seen, I do think this would also be uh, of all these birds besides Deliverance, uh, one to see on a big screen because the stunts themselves are all yes. lend themselves to that um, you also have Jan Michael Vincent coming in as the young buck uh, very similar to his mechanic role yeah I was going to uh, say it's very much psychotic. like the Bronson <laughs> much less psychotic and they have a really interesting relationship yeah. in that film I really like yeah. their relationship yeah yeah no I it's think a, he gets it you yeah know, Bert knows I think he very uh, much understands his place and where he, yes. he's headed he doesn't want to accept it yet that he's probably towards the end of his career but and, but he's still the best that's the cool thing it's not like he's he's past it and can't do the stunts mm-hmm. which would be a different kind of movie no he's still the best and he's never not the best in the movie it's just whether he should keep going or not yes you know it's like when do you exit what you do and uh man it's entertaining as hell uh and just everyone's fun in this movie it's it's really delightful i I saw i saw a great um i think it was when he did carson for when this movie came Mm. out and he was talking about how they should they should have a category in the academy awards for best performance in a car flying through the air (laughs) and they (laughs) <laughs> You'll be nominated for that. That's pretty great. Which He's is almost true. not wrong. It, it's yeah. not. They should have a stunt category. I totally agree. Oh, yeah. that 100% agree yeah. on that. That's sad, but... And there's a scene where he's imitating Roy Rogers and um, the guy from Dukes of Hazzard, uh, whose name is escaping me. Is, Waylon is, Jennings? Yeah, and, uh, you know, the one who's like, Roscoe B. Culture. He's oh, there, um, James Best. Yeah, James. Is, is imitating Jimmy Stewart brilliantly. And the two of them are just going on and on. And there's just so many fun little character moments where mm-hmm. it feels like there are improvs throughout, which I have to assume there there was. It's yeah. a little looser. This is definitely a movie where you can tell everyone's having a good time oh, while yeah. making yes. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's contagious. And yeah. but him and Sally, you know, him and Sally Field, they have a real charm to their uh, obviously off-screen relationship too. But just there's something, you know, the opening scene, he just picks her up and she's just sitting on him, and it just feels effortless. Doesn't feel at all sleazy. It just feels like, oh yeah, those two people are in love. I totally believe this. You know. Well, she was the one that got away, according yeah. to Bert. Yeah, which is, yeah, which is interesting. Um, I didn't realize how small she was until this movie. Like she looks <laughs> tiny in this movie. Um, but this well, is she, just she super was fun. the flying nun. That's she true. had to have you know yeah. <laughs> had to be light to, to pick up. Uh, but super fun. And Jan Michael Vincent is actually really fun in this. I think yeah. he's great as a young guy who just is tr- with something to prove. Um, and there's just a couple stunts here that are pretty breathtaking. Obviously, the ending is part of the narrative itself. Um, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, that leads to one that we were talking off air. A couple of us hadn't seen before, um, and definitely one. You know, it's late. It's 1989 physical evidence. From the producer of The Jagged Edge. I want it for murder. Burt Reynolds is the suspect. See you in court, Mr. Nix. Teresa Russell is his lawyer. I won't need an alibi if we find out who did it. Right now, you are the prime suspect. What they need is physical evidence. The Big Easy's Ned Beatty. Emmy Award winner Kay Lenz. 
and Ted McGinley of TV's Dynasty. Co-star in this talk action thriller directed by Michael Crichton. I had not um, seen I have not, I have not seen, seen, seen this. Nor have I. Feels... I feel guilty because I love Bert and I will watch, you know. And being a big Nick Rogue fan, I, I love Teresa yeah. Russell, but uh, like I said to you guys, I just don't want her to be my lawyer because there's <laughs> something she just doesn't as a lawyer, I just I just don't know if I buy you. That's yeah, a Black Widow. I bought it. <laughs> but uh, it, tell it's us. an interesting late 80s thriller and uh-huh. it definitely has Michael Crichton directed it, it? yeah from the yeah. producers of jagged edge i think i heard yeah, it has a though that, that vibe, vibe definitely yeah. i'm gonna go home and see it tonight yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i mean michael michael leave right now <laughs> no um yeah i like most of the michael Crichton directed um, movies with looker we talk about them quite a lot yeah, no, no, i like Crichton's directing yeah. a lot I just so i'm surprised seen, I I seen this one before. isn't entirely successful yeah. but it is interesting it certainly plays with bert's image a lot uh. because it's one of those did he kill someone or did he not and uh oh, teresa russell yeah. is his uh lawyer and then they work together to do some investigating and then of course there's secrets and things are revealed and what are the secrets it, well you will have to come and find out <laughs> but, be revealed, yeah. uh, but it's one of those things that keeps you on the did he do it or did he not sort of mm. uh, train throughout the movie okay um, but yeah, so you know if three of us out of four haven't seen that one, it must be worth seeing on screen here because uh, it's obviously uh, lesser known, so I need to see that one. Um, and then uh, just a little film, Smoking the Bandit. All right, we can pass that. Uh, <laughs> uh, get some Jerry Reed in there. You know, I, lo- I do love Jerry Reed. He's great I do in too. too. Yeah, he's really good. And he's a, he's a great country singer. He, yeah. Just in, independent of being an actor. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So another Hal Needham, another you know monster. I mean, would this be the biggest... Burt film, Smoking the Bandit, would you say for your average American public? Probably. Was, yeah. was it his biggest hit? Yeah, I'm I sure it was. If you ask a man on the street, then yeah. Smoking the Bandit is definitely the one. Yeah. yeah. And we get Sally Field again as well. Wasn't it that uh, Billy Bob Thornton said that's a, that's considered a documentary where I'm from? <laughs> <laughs> White Lightning too, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it was apparently Alfred Hitchcock's, uh, that's the... I love that. The oh, story wait, what that is that one? I don't, I don't know. Hitchcock was a huge fan. Yeah. Well, Bert in his memoir favorite? said Bert said in his memoir that it was his favorite, Alfred Hitchcock's favorite movie. And he, he confirmed <laughs> wow. it with Alfred Hitchcock's daughter. I don't know if that was his favorite yeah. movie, but he did love it. He watched it all the time. That so. is awesome. I just love, <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. I love the idea of Hitchcock. What's well, like Kubrick loving Albert Brooks and, uh, no, I mean, loving Howard, um, John Hughes. Yeah. I mean, that was, he said John Hughes and uh, what's he, his name? Anthony Michael was his favorite. Combo. He loved White Man Can't Jump, too. Yeah. Oh, well. Who, who doesn't love, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a <laughs> great film. money where my mouth is. It's yeah. so good. I love that. Um, okay. <laughs> so Smoking the Bandit, obviously, uh, complete crowd pleaser and probably probably the perfect. If you're going to see one movie to tribute Burt uh, after all this time on a big screen, they use clips of that beautifully. And they use clips of a number of his films uh, in Adam Rifkin's uh, last movie star. Mm-hmm. But that, that particular sequence is the best. Him looking at his younger self and talking to himself. It's pretty magical. I love how he fought for that movie, too, because Hal Needham wrote that script. Because Hal Needham ri- lived with him for 12 years. He lived in his pool house. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, they were best huh. friends. And he wrote that script and gave it to Bird and said, what do you think? And he, they tried to shop around. People were, were rejecting it. Mm. And they finally got it made. And look what happened. It was yeah. a huge hit. And, you know, I guess he got the idea because there was this whole thing with Coors Beer where you could, you know, people were... You couldn't drink it. You couldn't cross it. Couldn't get it across state lines. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the rather simple story is ba- it's based in truth. Bandit, me and my son are here. Oh, I love your suits. It must be a bitch getting a size 68 extra fat and a 12 dwarf. I came to make a deal. Uh, What's he get if he wins this truck rodeo thing? 
stiff. Five thousand dollars, Daddy. Chicken shit money. Just what the hell you want, anyway? You to get out of this dumbass rodeo and accept a real challenge. Now get the Texarkana and back in 28 hours. That's no problem. It ain't never been done before, hot shit. Watch your language, little lady. The problem is that Coors Beer, you take that east of Texas, and that's, uh, that's bootlegging. You know, I believe you're just a little bit scared. That's great psychology. Why don't you just say something bad about my mother? Your mama is so uh, look, ugly. Look, you make this run for me. Now, these Peterbilts here are worth $80,000. That comes to about three grand an hour if you make it 28 hours. How about that for a challenge? Dad, I don't believe that that's necessary. Never mind. Wait a minute. Sir. Wait a minute. Why do you want that beer so bad? Because he's thirsty, dummy. You see, I got a boy running tomorrow in the Southern Classic, and uh, when he wins, I want to celebrate in style. How much style? Well, I got a few friends and me, uh, 400 cases. Well? Well, let me see your cash. Big Enos's word is gold. All right, show him the cash. Go ahead, little. Shit. Well, I see there's uh, 400 cases of beer. I'll need the cash for that. No problem. Go ahead, boy. New car. I got to have a new car to block for the truck, you know? Okay, go ahead, boy. I'd like to kick his ass just once. Speedy car. Speedier than that. Go ahead. <laughs> but um, hmm. I love that it's this kind of Tex Avery cartoon or something, yeah. you know? I mean, and it, it's really well done. I mean, it's it's just, it's beautifully edited. All of the um, car sequences are, I mean, people don't take those seriously enough, but they are an artwork in themselves when you watch them put together and edit it together like that. Mm -hmm. It's refreshing and, to see one that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and the and the, the timing of everyone too. I mean, Jackie Gleason yeah. is incredible. Eating a Diablo sandwich. And it's just such a <laughs> joyful movie. The theme song by Jerry Reed is yeah. is so great. I mean, how can you And Paul Williams. Paul Williams. And Paul Williams Maybe shows up. I know. But do you think that was sort of a, another turning point in his career where people started taking him less seriously? I know the one thing that he talked about that he really regretted was doing that centerfold yeah. for Cosmopolitan. And he thought that that actually hurt the chances of uh, Deliverance winning Academy Award. Uh, he thought that he had, because people thought, what are you doing? You know, yeah. you don't take yourself seriously. But I sort of love that he did that because he, he did it because he thought women do this all the time. It was yeah. kind of a very feminist thing yeah. that he did. And uh, I hate that. And, and he, but he regretted it. But I hate that he regretted it. I wish he would have embraced it later because it was very funny. Yeah, yeah and, I think it's hilarious. But I think those are the things that kind of... And then he was so devoted to Hal Needham because also we've talked, we love the movie Starting Over, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, which starting, we're not showing. Yeah, no, Starting Over is a great movie. But he, when he did that, because it was written by James L. Brooks, directed by Alan Pahula, Pacula, yeah. he uh, offered him Terms of Endearment. That's uh, right. In That's the, in the, in the astronaut role, and he turned it down to do Stroker Ace yeah. for Hal Needham. And it's like, what well, could have been? Man, yeah. you are really good friends with Hal Needham, aren't you? That's, <laughs> that is a. That is a devoted friendship. Yeah. It's funny, the Burt's personality in the, this period, I think he would have made a lot of sense now as a movie star. Mm -hmm. Again, I think he would have been a huge YouTube personality. He would have had an Instagram account, which would have been hilarious and off 
kilter. Like I think he's one of those guys who, who if he was just tapping into who he really is, which a lot of stars can't. I don't think. I think they can be great actors, but they're never revealing themselves. He he feels like he's always revealing these parts of himself. Yes. And that's what we were drawn to. Um, so I think he would have actually made sense in this period, like now as a star. Well, he would have been able to show his range more too, because he was such a good comedian. Yeah. You know, and he had a sense of humor about how handsome he was. Yeah. Which is what's so great. So it's not just this obnoxious macho. He's, he thinks it's funny. Yeah. Because it is funny. I mean, he knows that, that this kind of thing you shouldn't take too seriously. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking about the opening scene of The End, which also isn't playing this month, mm-hmm. but when he finds out that he's dying and he's like, I can take it. And then he just breaks down and yeah. just looks totally ridiculous and is not afraid to look ridiculous. Yes. It's really great. I just love that about him. Well, if you love the Burt laugh, which everyone here yes. loves the Burt laugh, you will not get it more in one movie than semi tough. This here's a movie about the second most important thing in the world, football. And also about the first most important thing. It's called Semi-Tough. You don't come near me till you brush your teeth. It stars Burt Reynolds as Billy Clyde Puckett, a running back who lives for just two things. One of them is football. You don't give up, do you? Oh, you wouldn't like me. Chris Christopherson is Shake Tiller. A wide receiver with great hands and beautiful moves. Jill Clayburg is Barbara Jane Bookman. Her daddy owns the team, and she plays with them. Don't look right. My daughter living with two of my players. I'm not sleeping with him, Daddy. Well, that's what I mean. Ain't normal. I think he does yeah. the Burt laugh in this movie more than any, and he's also just wearing the strangest hats in this movie. Yes, he is. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, maybe a little uh, racy now or, or not has aged well in terms of some of the humor and lines, but I actually did find myself laughing out loud multiple times in the first, like, five minutes, even even at stuff that was highly inappropriate. It, it was delivered in a way that actually just the timing was so good. His comedic timing uh, is so good in this film, and this is a, a Michael Ritchie film, and... Um, you know, Michael Ritchie's another one of these, you know, just fantastic. We we're just talking about Prime Cut, obviously, but a fantastic journeyman. Um, this is one, you know, I felt I had seen a long time ago and watching it now, I'm not so sure. Um, it's really, you think it's going to be a big football movie. It's really, that's a foil. This is not, if you're not a football person, you should still watch this movie. This movie is about uh, a kind of a three-way friendship. It's about uh, how you should doubt self-help gurus. It's yeah. about trying to find yourself. It what the, What's like it all about? It's Bob and Carol and Ted now. Yeah. yeah. It does a football It really movie. does. The football's got some fun sequences for sure. Uh, you get some fun cameos. Brian Denny, we were talking about, is really fun as the total thug on the team. Uh, does a couple scary things <laughs> as the movie goes along. But there, uh, Jill Clayburgh, who's an actress oh, who I think doesn't so get enough right. uh, a, a love and she's really smart in this really fun she's kind of the centerpiece between Bert and Chris Christopherson uh, and Christopherson's playing like this enlightened <laughs> uh, receiver who's really uh, really amusing but there's something about Bert in this film that it's also an odd structure because the first half it feels like it's about all three of them and then at a certain point it becomes a Bert film yeah. Bert really becomes like halfway through the film. It's like, no, no, it's about Bert again. And you don't really know what his motivation is in this movie in terms of their other relationship. You kind of get a sense of what he might be doing. But throughout, you're not sure. Is he trying to break up a couple? Is he tr- just trying to like remind them who they really are because they're old friends of his? It's, it's a really uh, kind of a strange vibe to this movie. But I also found it really amusing. It has a nice design for living kind of three way not three yeah. way but yeah. the you know you're not sure exactly the together, yeah. yeah the way all, the way they all live together and That's she's a good a, comparison I like yeah that. and she's a very modern woman yeah and then they are i mean a lot of the movie is is poking fun at 
uh, what was then EST, EST, the EST kind of yeah. religion, and really what a lot of people thought was a cult. Yeah. And it's it's Bert Convy, which is yeah. great. You know, you, you don't usually yeah, think yeah. that he would be cast in something like yeah. this as a leader of it. He's actually great. In he's that. so it's great, so perfect. I know. And there's a woman, and he locks them all in the room and says, "You can't go to the bathroom." And a woman just stands up and says, "I just peed my pants, and I feel great." Yeah, <laughs> and everyone cheers. And and, <laughs> I mean, but that really was happening in Est. Yeah. You know, so, so I mean, I think some critics thought that was too on the nose. I don't, uh, it, but it was. I, I think it's a really interesting film, and it's certainly it's very absurdist. Like parts of it go yes. just completely over the top, but it's fun. Be- I think one of the things going for it is that it's not what it's advertised to be. Like right. you go and go, oh, it's going to be about behind the scenes of football. It's like there's a little bit of that, but really, it's about uh, just how people are trying to find themselves. Yes, it's and, a laid back yeah. character study. Yeah. But Bert's really laid back in this thing. Yes. I mean, this might be his most laid back. Like, it's just, it's just comical. He's in the bathroom dictating his new book. I mean, there's oh, some really weird moments to this. But it's I, I think he's really funny. I think it's really worth watching. It's a very Michael Ritchie film, too, yeah, though. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you can't peg it, and that's the interesting. And there's one thing, my favorite cameo in the whole movie, well, more than cameo, is Ron Silver playing a Russian kicker who does nothing, just like a kicker would never do anything. He doesn't want to practice, but then when it, when the time comes, he can kick you know the most ridiculous field goal, and he's smoking a cigarette as he does. It's <laughs> quite his, his a brilliant cameo, pretty, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's a fun movie. It's strange, um, but you know, there's certain beats of the humor that uh, might might seem might seem off, but like I said, it's it, it actually feels pretty apt to its time and the kind of people who would be yeah. in that world so some, if there's like a racist comment you kind of believe it because you're going yeah it's probably how these football players were talking about each other you know so I think it's I think it's warranted in that sense I agree but. with you though it is almost like a Paul Mazursky film totally, about right? football or something yeah I was just yeah. thinking about the opening of Bob and Carol I'm like wow that could be yeah. like the same movie it's yeah. really funny it's fun though it's, it's a good one um, and then we go into another uh, Midnight am I right on that yep we have uh, the concert documentary Fillmore which uh, basically tells the final week of shows at the legendary Fillmore West in mm-hmm. uh, San Francisco uh, in 71. And it's got concert footage of Santana and Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane. Frank Zappa, is he part of that or not? You know, I don't Maybe not. I don't no, remember I think him in that. Huh. Um, but it kind of goes between the concert footage and then the legendary concert promoter, uh, Bill Graham. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like trying to hold it all together, and he's kind of a notorious character. Um, mm. So it's interesting. I like the uh, uh, Johnny B. Good. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not the hugest deadhead or anything, but there's a nice Johnny B. Good performance by the Grateful Dead. That Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen this in a long time, but uh, I remember, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly here, but... So, yeah, we played it a couple years ago, and... Um, Hot but... Tuna's in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Bonus Gags. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's going to be another four-track mag print with uh, some some cool sound on that. Nice. If you're a big Frank Zappa fan, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he is not part of this. This is my bad research. Uh, and then we, uh, the kiddies, uh, 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 Dean Martin and Lewis, uh, Three Ring Circus from 54 on the 23rd and 24th. Oh, 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 They're higher than ever, wilder than ever, more hilarious than ever, because only the new screen marvel of this division could encompass all the yells and thrills and technicolorful spectacle when Dean and Jerry take over the circus. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Some uh, fun, uh, fun Jaja Gabor in there, right? Yeah, I just saw Haven't this one, one actually, yet. and uh, it's interesting. I was reading a little bit of the backstory. It's 
it's I think it's like eight years into Martin and Lewis's ten year collaboration. Mm. But I was reading that this movie was somewhat pivotal in their split. Like this is a Dean was not happy on this one in particular, and uh, I can kind of see why. I mean, he's he's given yet another sort of nothing role, and um, Jerry is like, you know, it, it, I like the circus milieu. Yeah, that looked fun. That is fun. Segment. No, and I like it. It's and Jaja is good and. Um, I did read that it's the inspiration for the day the clown cried. Like, this is where he. <laughs> no, it says him playing the thing. He wanted more of that. Oh, he wanted, really? Yeah, it said that's he, where he got the idea. I was going to say so. you could call this movie that because he does okay. cry as a clown <laughs> at one point in the movie. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's very much this Jerry movie where he they both are. Uh, I want to say they're just getting out of the army, and Jerry wants to be a lion tamer, so he goes and signs up with a circus, and Dean goes with him, and then they sort of end up, you know, ingratiating themselves into the circus, and Jerry becomes like a big clown in the circus. Hmm. Jericho it, the Wonder Clown. Jericho the Wonder. <laughs> Yes. And but it is the Jerry show. And Dean is, you know, I mean, he's forced to say lines like, you know, you're going to be a comic genius. And just like if you're thinking about it from the point of view of where they were at, it feels like Jerry's kind of forcing him to a praise him, which is whatever, but also sort of examine their relationship. There's bits where Dean doesn't want it. There's not to spoil too much, but there's one pivotal bit where. Uh, they want to do this child benefit, uh, this uh, orphan benefit thing, and Dean is absolutely like, we can't do it. We just, you know, uh, we don't have time, and Jerry's like, well, I'm doing it, you know, and it's just sort of this martyristic thing. There's some things about it that I could see why Dean would be annoyed, um, but so that's kind of unfortunate that this is one of the ones that was one of the last straws, and obviously then they still did like three or four movies after this. So, um, I don't know. It's interesting for the, uh, Zsa Zsa performance and, and Dean's good, you know, uh, he has a couple songs that are fun and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, I can, I can kind of see why he maybe was annoyed about it, but it's pretty rare. I don't know that. Yeah, it's... I don't think it's ever been available on a home video here in the States. So yeah. this is definitely a rare screening. Yeah. No, this is cool. No, from that point of view for. It looked very lush. The photography it looked like a beautiful. It was, I, I want to say it's the first Vista Vision Vista Vision, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I, I could be wrong about the first, but it's definitely one of the earliest Vista hmm. Vision movies. And they were following on the heels of the robe coming out in Cinemascope in 53. This is 54, I think. Yeah. So, um, so you know, from that point of view, it's one of the earliest examples of that. I, I like VistaVision movies, so that, that's almost enough for me to go just that. Uh, okay, have you seen it, Kim? I have not seen that one. I feel terrible because I'm a Jerry Lewis fan. It's not right. really. Well, we're we're saving just... it to watch with us. <laughs> we're going to take a pause while Kim watches that film. <laughs> <laughs> Three Ring Circus. Uh, all right, we'll jump. I haven't seen it either. Um, you can't see it all. I know. Some of it you have to see on the big screen. I, I try to be a completist, no, but it's tough to see it's all impossible. Jerry's movies. I haven't seen all Jerry's uh, Then we jump back into a Paul Winkus uh, double uh, for people who are, uh, you know, waiting for Cliff Robertson to emerge out of the submarine. Yeah. They now get to see him on a surfboard mm-hmm. uh, as Kahuna, which is exciting. And it, everyone's really fun in this film. I haven't seen this film in 30 years, uh, but uh, Gidget. Gidget from 59. Mm-hmm. Uh, would that be the, one of the most defining beach kind of movies, you think? And Teenage, maybe the def- one of the most defining te- teenage beach movies. And, sure. it's and it actually has sexuality on like some of them. They're more chaste. This feels, I don't know, it feels fairly racy yeah. compared to some, I think. You know? Yeah, it's not It's not Annette Funicello no, and yeah, uh, yeah. Frankie Avalon. It's, no. uh, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I really like Sandra Dee. I think yeah. she's a great actress. I think she kind of doesn't get enough credit. Yeah. 
She's great in Imitation of Life. Mm, She's great yeah. in A Summer Place, a film that I love yeah. that I think people think is just really melodramatic. Yeah. And I love melodrama and yeah, over the too. top, and I like over top. Well, but yeah. uh, I think she's. it's a really interesting look at a teenage girl that's trying to find herself and wants to surf. She doesn't necessarily want to go out with boys and... I, everyone's, I mean, everyone is hassling her yeah. that she's got to go out with boys. And I'm thinking, wh- what's wrong with her wanting to surf and just mm-hmm. hang out with people? But then it gets a little, it's it's odd, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, all of these older guys, and she's, and she's <laughs> yeah, so they're, young. They're, they're yeah. of, yeah, and she Robertson looks younger than she down. is, you know, especially Cliff Robertson and that, yeah. that scene where he's yeah. like going to almost seduce her. Yeah. And, she, and he's pretty hunky. And that I gotta say, oh yeah, because I'm, I'm so used to seeing. We talked about Cliff Robertson not long ago, but I'm so used to seeing him as like 45 plus years old. Then when I see him in these movies, I'm like, oh damn, this guy was like matinee idol type, you yeah, know? chiseled dude, yeah. And and he's playing the maybe one of the is he one of the first beach bums? You think yeah, like the yeah. first kind of iconic beach bums, Kuna, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Moon Doggy, of Moondoggy, course, yeah. yeah. So we're pairing that with Point Blank. Uh, point break. Yeah. No, sorry, point break. Break, not blank. <laughs> point break would be a pretty fun double with Gidget. Uh, but the other film I haven't actually heard of this one. Uh, Dick Clark's first uh, big starring role, and it actually looked like a, the trailer was interesting because they're young. Mm-hmm. Uh, teacher getting involved with students, I guess. And some, I didn't know what the tone of it was. Whether it's like uh, drama with a social message, or have you seen this one? Yeah. I've seen it. It's uh-huh. kind of a lighter film. Okay. He, he's not really getting. He's getting involved in sort of. He's a young teacher yeah. that's sort of trying to be cooler with the students. Oh, so he's not getting involved. No, no, no. That's what I was reading. Okay. Okay. No. um, And it's going through all of the different students. The big standout here is Tuesday Weld. Young Tuesday Weld. And I'm assuming we all love Tuesday Weld here. Yep, everyone's pretty good Um, fans. Such a great actress. And when you watch her in these younger roles, you can just see it right there. You can see her star appeal. You can see her depth. You can see everything. Even in sort of trite situation. She's so, she makes them so interesting. Mm-hmm. So she's so great to watch. And Dick Clark is okay. I mean, it's sort of interesting to see him in this role. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty well directed. I mean, it's, uh, you've seen it, right? I have haven't. You? Oh, okay. It's, uh, you know, they have a, who plays at the dance? It's, um, is it, Dwayne Eddy and the Rebels. Yes. I'm like, that's quite a dance. And then, and then <laughs> James Darren sings at the dance too. I'm like, wow, they're having quite a dance. Oh, um, wait, so and he was in Gidget too. Okay, yeah, cool. So I mean, it's. I say, if you're a Tuesday Weld fan, go yeah. see this film, and that guarantees everyone will be there. Yeah, and then go home and watch Lord Love a Duck. Yeah. Right, or Pretty Poison, oh, or Pretty Play Poison. One, one of my faves. Yeah, Play It As It Lays is one of those films that really doesn't get played here enough. And when we talk about films on filmmaking, it's a, just a, it's a masterpiece, but it's a very depressing. I love it. It, it might we, be. I, well, it I, might wrote, be I wrote a large piece about yes. it, didn't I? It's one of the great Perkins roles. And that's the oh, thing. Yeah. Playing oh, that depressed producer is like feels like one of the most real L.A. characters. Oh, yeah. yeah. On screen. And yeah. still not a great home video release as far oh, as Oh, no. I mean, I had to not watch to get a, too sidetracked a bad about it, but dub of it. I was from, so happy when the new yeah, Beverly played it. We did a Frank Perry series, and Kim didn't awesome article on yeah. Play the Lays and yeah we played that on a double bill with Diary of a Mad Housewife which and is it was, another great it was a, a night I loved yeah. it nice yeah, Perry, that did really well. The Frank Perry series. Yeah, I think should. I mean, he did extremely. I well. was really happy to see people going to all these Frank Perry films because you th- you know he's not entirely well known. Sure, to... especially because we were digging into some of the like more. The, the the lesser seen films we didn't we didn't play the swimmer but we played Doc yeah and stuff like that yeah. and people really showed up 
Yeah. Well, awesome. and, and that's definitely because of accessibility. The lack of being able to see his films yeah. is, is hurting his name. I don't and, know too many you know, people that have seen play it as it lays and weren't kind of blown away by it. No, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like last summer when you you can't yeah. not be moved by a movie like that. You're just, holy shit. Yeah. This is good. And we I, we often talk about how also Eleanor Perry, anytime I mention Frank, I always make sure we, yeah, m- we have should, to mention Eleanor. Yeah, we should mention her. Because the best work is all the work they did together. The stuff he did after, is, is there's still good work, but their work together is a different level, I think. Um, anyway, that's a tangent, but it's, you know, uh, she wrote a, she wrote a great memoir that's oh. kind of not a memoir. Oh. So I would oh I don't know I, I'd have to read that. Then. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, this is one of my picks of the whole thing. Would be this? Are we Monday Matinee? Yeah, Monday Matinee. This, I just watched this <laughs> the other. I saw it when I was you know however old I was when this came out. I watched it again, and this movie is bonkers. And this will be. Maybe this one, this and maybe the next movie might be my favorite like crowd pleasers of this calendar, and that is uh, Bill Duke, who you all have loved in his Mandy scene recently, uh, directed Anytime. Deep Cover. The great thing about life on the street is you know how it's going to be. It's always the same. It's always getting worse. Hasta la vista. On these streets, one color rules. Green. It's not 10 kilos we want, we want 20. Listen, you're taking a lot away for a guy we hardly know, John. Where are you moving this stuff? He's going to get you busted. No, he won't. On these streets, nothing's what it seems to be. Is that our bust? Yeah. Well, who is he? <laughs> Listen, John here got busted, but he kept his mouth shut. On these streets, he'd be the perfect criminal. If he wasn't the perfect cop. Do you ever take a look at your psychological profile? You score almost exactly like a criminal. I'm looking for somebody who will go under and stay under. What does he have to do? Buy drugs? Sell drugs? Set up the people that I don't want to bust. Because there's only one rule in this game, John. Don't blow your cover. Do what you want, but don't try to sit down while I get down. Uh, starring Lawrence Fishburne, who's mm-hmm. fantastic in this, like yes. right as a lead, uh, and Jeff Goldblum, super skeezy uh, Goldblum performance. And this movie is actually re- what I was expecting to rewatch. It was like, oh, it's going to fit into like uh, Boys in the Hood. This kind of this movie is edgy as hell. Yeah, it's in your face from frame one. The you know opening is a flashback of his dad being shot in front of him. You know, ro- after a liquor store robbery goes wrong, and I just think this movie is just beat for beat entertaining as hell. Like, and then right after that, that yeah. interview with the police officer, and I'm not going to say it here, yeah. but how they're, what they're asking, oh, yeah. the difference between, Oh, you know, yeah. So basically how I they, mean, yeah, I don't know if there's a way to really say it without, no. it, but, but the, the, the interview process to go undercover is a, is a white nerdy cop behind a desk. Yeah. Uh, interviewing Charles different, Smith. yeah, interviewing different black men and asking them, uh, you know, what's the, what, what is the, uh, what's without, the difference between, between an N and a black man and a black man basically and and most of the you know you you all these guys because actually you know what that sequence really reminded me a little bit of black klansman Mm -hmm. in terms of where it's kind of trying to push um but what's interesting is how all these guys who uh, you know you imagine they would have been asked shit like this to provoke them to see what their reaction is and you see all these interesting reactions of people trying to hold in that anger um and then you get to Lawrence fishburne who gives this just stoic answer Mm -hmm. and just owns that and there's something so powerful i mean fishburne's always been 
an incredibly underrated actor, I think, and seeing him as a lead in something, which is, you know, I think very rare. I'd, I, we could probably count on a, on one hand. And at that time, you know, I think yeah. it was very rare. I, I think I think it's really well made, but I also think it's just it's entertaining and it's over the top at times, but in a way that's fun. Uh, this was definitely for me like pure joy rediscovering this one uh, and just kind of seeing how they push everything: race, identity, sexuality, uh, drug culture. Right. I mean, it's all being yeah, portrayed through it's this. It's like yeah. scathingly political yeah too. yeah it's bill duke's just going all in and he's always been a good director though i mean you, you know he's one of those guys you can make something where you like read the material and go oh god that's gonna be terrible and he's i think he always you know elevates stuff i also like how lawrence fishburne really struggles with the violence in the film mm-hmm. they really take their time to show that he is not really happy about doing mm-hmm. this so when he shoots that guy in the bathroom yeah. and he's looking it's at a great the, scene, his yeah. yeah it's such a great scene he's yeah. looking at the blood on his hands and he runs and he's just he goes home and thinks about his father i mean they've really you yeah. don't see that so often, yeah. where you really see never, almost never. No, I've just forgotten the name of the actor from Tales from the uh, Hood, um, the narrator character who's in Hell. Welcome to Hell, motherfucker! Uh, he, in this, he plays kind of the you know he becomes almost like the father figure cop. Yeah, who doesn't doesn't even realize Fishburne's a cop. Yeah, that's what's great. He's so deep undercover, he can't tell anyone. And the relationship that kind of grows between them while they're at odds, which is about race and what you're you know what you should be doing is fantastic. I think it's a really interesting through line between these characters. So it's able to be really serious and ridiculously over the top at times. And that's a hard, hard um, balance. Clarence Williams Clarence III. Williams III. Yeah, yeah, he's so good. Also in 52 Pickup. Yes. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, great um, actor. I have but, a... Sorry, go ahead. Though. Go for it. I was going to say, I have a weird theory that uh, Jeff Goldblum's character from... Yeah. Uh, Thank God it's Friday is actually a continuation <laughs> of this character. Of this wasp. They're both skeezy yeah. as hell. So. Yeah. And, but go, and yet you're interested and quite like him a lot of the movie, even though he, what he's doing is awful. It's, I mean, it's Jeff Goldblum, so he's easy yeah. to like. Yeah. But as it gets towards the end, you're able to kind of turn. But it, it's really... No, very underrated movie. This very, would be a good yeah. matinee. To see in the middle of the day, this would be a blast. Yeah. And uh, co-written by Michael Tolkien. Oh, oh that's uh, right. Yeah. From, yeah. from uh, The Rapture and all sorts of other and stuff. And The Player. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we move into, well, this has got a bit, I, I, I'm going to say collectively, this might be one of the picks of the month because I think everyone month. likes one oh, of these more than the other. The it's your pick of the month. All right. uh, oh. And we're getting to uh, two super fun, uh, movies. We got, uh, Malone from 87 oh and Heat from 86 afterwards, totally different movies. Uh, I think wildly different in tones, uh, but both really fun. Uh, who wants to take Malone first? I mean, I'll let Phil take uh-huh. it, but uh, I would just say for people that haven't seen Malone, yeah. and Phil said it, it's uh, it's a can- it's basically a canon film. Yeah. So you're gonna let me talk about it, but you're gonna say everything. I <laughs> just say, one so. thing. No, my one thing is that it's his Charles Bronson movie. That's my thing. Yeah. If you want to, if yeah. you haven't seen Malone, you want to see Burt Reynolds do a Charles Bronson movie. That's my pitch on it. What are you gonna tell the company? Goodbye. Nobody just walks away. Watch me. He's looking for a second chance. Great car. It's older than me. You got socks older than you. And that's his first mistake. What happened to this town? Discovered toxic waste? Uh, this rich guy Delaney moved in. Trying to buy it everything. Thomas Jefferson said, the tree of freedom must be nourished from time to time. With blood. Interesting man. You want me to take care of him? Well, Joe's the only thing I've got. After I'm gone, the lady's gonna come down on you harder than ever. He's just a landman. He's playing God in this valley. I, I dedicate my body, my brain, and my soul to our sacred covenant. 
put it down. All right, the arena has been contained. And the playing field defined. So what are you going to do, Malone? Shoot me? You shouldn't be fighting me, Richard. We should be on the same side. We're so much alike. I'm afraid you're right. Burt Reynolds, Lauren Hutton, and Cliff Robertson. Malone. Or if you're just a huge Battle Truck fan and you want to see what Harley Cloakless did next, which was shot in New Zealand, weirdly enough. But uh, I think we've taken it all now, right? Yeah, I feel like there's not really too much to say beyond the tagline for the movie, which is just ex-cop, ex-CIA, explosive. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's his version of a Charles Bronson movie. He gets fucked with. He fucks back yeah <laughs> he definitely this does. is one i might have seen on tv but i actually i loved seeing this one again i really enjoyed this uh, scott wilson's in it lauren hudden is plays a mm-hmm. ci agent uh, uh, some uh, old friend of his who uh you're not sure if she's gonna uh come to end him or uh save him at certain points but what i liked about this one is again cliff robertson through line Cliff Roberts in this is a, playing a total Trump-like, like the Trump oh, wing. That's that's Watching this, I was like, oh, my God. It's like this underwing of, like, let's make America great uh, political faction of kind of terrorism happening in, in the Pacific Northwest. And I was not expecting that in the first half of this movie. It didn't indicate that that's the kind of story it becomes. And it has great action sequences. Uh, I think Burt is really good in this kind of serious, low-key, like you say, Bronson effortless performance. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. And I didn't think – I thought it was going to be kind of a throw. for some reason i kept thinking it was like raven you know I, in my head i had raven raven and then and this isn't like raven so you're you're okay well uh it's also got kenneth mcmillan as the sheriff i yeah, love he's him good, yeah. and cynthia gibb as yes, scott wilson's daughter yeah. and she of course of modern girls and some other movies that who I directed like. this film again i can't remember now uh, harley coquellis okay and i know he did battle check he did a couple other things uh, he was the second unit on Star Wars, I think, oh. was a big part of his uh, gigs. But anyway, I, I thought it was well made. And, um, yeah, it's a fun one. The only downside is that, I mean, Bert's obviously got a toupee in some of his films. And I noticed it more on this watch, like how noticeable his toupee is in this movie. And that sort of took me out just a little bit. But, but Cynthia Gibb didn't notice it. No, she so definitely did not care. I like I like yeah. Bert's toupee. I think yeah. it's fine. I think it's fine. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I'd been watching a lot of younger Bert where yeah. it's not. And then I was suddenly like, whoa, oh, okay, there it is. <laughs> okay, I gotcha. All right. But no, he's great in it. It's really. Yeah. This is definitely the Grindhouse Tuesday Bert yeah. Reynolds double bill. Yeah. Yeah. And this one also feels like something that would have been on TV a lot. And I feel like Malone's one of those movies that feels like it would have been a big TV movie. Yeah, back it was. De- it was definitely like a video store classic. Yeah, the video right. cover is really <laughs> awesome. It's like him walking out of a wall of fire, like yeah. shooting his like shotgun, and just like ah, it looks like he's actually shouting his own name, Malone. It or does something. look like shouting his own name. No, I do think that would have been a better title. I mean, the novel is called Shotgun. I think Shotgun would have been pretty badass for this movie. I don't know. But, I like. Uh, I, like it. I like movies names. where a character goes by a last name that people can yell pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, Malone yeah. is pretty yelling. Yeah, that is good. But Um, that movie was super fun. But so, Phil, you're a big Heat fan. I I am too. I want to hear what you think about Heat. Well, Heat is what I think is the best of the 80s uh, tough Burt Reynolds. 
with Heat, it's uh, it's written by William yeah. Goldman based on mm, his right. his book. So uh, in December we played uh, Butch Cassidy. Last month we played uh, Harper, and this is uh, the William Goldman uh, entry for this month. It is a very dark Las Vegas story, and if you know me, I'm like really obsessed with like Las Vegas and Las Vegas history and just that whole scene. Uh, but, movies, yeah. yeah, he is kind of a washed up vet who has a way with weapons, uh, but not guns or anything like that. He's he's a edged weapons expert, and he lives in Vegas. He kind of wants to get out, but can never... To where? Where does he want to live? Venice. <laughs> I love that, those nuances. Like, he just wants to be um, in Venice. You're like, okay. And uh, he just can never kind of get over him himself to get... Mm. Uh, away from that, but he works as a bodyguard and kind yeah, of they like call a, it like a chaperone, a, which is like a, a like a wingman, yeah. like a, a helper or something yeah. like that. And he has like a variety of interesting friendships in the movie. And uh, he, Peter McNichol, yes, uh, hires him to be his chaperone bodyguard, and he kind of trains him in the way of the world. I often wonder what I do if. Uh... Somebody pulled a gun on me. Well, it's probably happening to you a lot, though. What would you do? You know, I mean, just let's just say somebody pulls a gun on you. Run. <laughs> no, I mean it. Really and truly, what would you do? If he was standing 20 feet away, and uh, I didn't have anything in my hands, I'd be in trouble. But if he got up close to me, got a little Hollywood on me. Did like that? I'd stick it up his ass. Oh, I could never do that. Does it have to be? Uh, maybe it has to be in your nature or something. You, uh, you're probably basically a violent man. No, I'm not. I'm just good at it. Did you ever lose a fight? Think there'd be some sort of embarrassment factor? You ever embarrassed? That's really what you're worried about, isn't it? Being embarrassed. But then Bert's lady friend gets roughed up, and he kind of gets pulled into some uh, the the world of like the mob or whatever, and it kind of clashes. It is kind of like the ultimate dad movie. Mm. I imagine that you know. Vets came back from Vietnam in the '70s. They were growing older. This is like the kind of movie that they were watching mm. in the '80s. Hmm. Yeah, and, and and we talk about it a lot, but I, I gambling movies done well are, tend to be, almost be my favorite subgenre because there's just something about well, you know, you're never going to win, right? And there's a scene in this that I think might be the best gambling scene about what it is to gamble and win, but that you can never win. And what he does, and the way it just—it's just this. And Diana Scarwood, who I've always been a big fan of, oh, yeah, hers. She great. actually lived in Savannah when I lived in Savannah. She, uh, from you know, mommy dearest. Uh, she's this dealer, old friend of his, great friend. And there's a sequence where he is winning a lot of money, and I, I don't want to ruin it because it's a really, but just the methodical way it's presented, and there the emotional reaction she has to him as a friend, but also as a dealer, is fascinating because yeah. it's not saying you get to see much. Obviously, the, the coldness of the dealers in this town. 
it's really one of those great standalone sequences as, as a filmmaking scene where you're just like, oh, yep, you just nailed what we've, we've recently been watching, say, Casino for one of our other episodes. Thinking about that scene, it could totally be in that movie. Absolutely. Um, it or probably, probably influenced that movie. California yeah. Split. California like Split, that yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, um, I, I love that it's it's like one part sort of revenge movie and then suddenly there's gambling movie in there. Yeah. And there's sort of like that, like you were saying, Phil, sort of uh, a paternal sort of... My bodyguard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it is a my bodyguard. Um, it's like, you know, one guy training another guy, kind of self defense kind of thing. And I don't know, there's just a lot going on in there. And there's a, at least one or two really good sequences where Bert fucks some people up. And, yeah. I, and the outfit in which he's wearing. Yeah, he, he like, you know, like injures somebody with a credit card. <laughs> but in the same movie, there's a 10-minute sequence that's incredibly depressing of him yeah. gambling. Yeah. yeah. it's Well, now I have to see this. Yeah. This is the one I haven't seen. Okay, yeah, because oh, like the, the gambling stuff. I like gambling movies. Yeah. Yeah. You like this. No, it's, they're, they're fascinating. And because it's it's in everyone, you know, the worst side of us always comes out in these interesting parts yeah. and you can't help it. It's It feels like that's the American dream. Whenever I see movies about them, I'm like, yeah, that's it. Vegas is that, you know. In many ways, um, yeah. So that is a great double feature. That that is definitely going to be one of the best double features, especially because they might not be ones that everyone's seen. So where Boogie Nights Deliverance are is like a powerhouse double. I'm assuming most people listening to the show have seen both of those films, but these two, you, good chance you might not have seen one of them. So I think Phil and I are both calling this our pick of from the now. Month. Yeah. So well, that, now I might have to change it. No, don't change it. Uh, don't change it because I like that we're. I'll both wait till doing the very that. end. If you, and or if you want, <laughs> I can pick something else. But I like the idea that. This is saying, hey, this is yeah. of these Burt movies. Put a radar on it. Phil and I both think you should really see these. And so does Peter McNichol, who's a big listener. <laughs> uh, I wish I had see seen this. this when he used to come into my video store because really. I would love to have talked to him about it. And I never. He, uh, in my former gig uh, working at a record store, he ordered some stuff for me online and I uh, let him know that I was a huge Heat fan and he uh, said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well that's cool because uh, at my work we were told never to talk to him about Dragon Slayer so oh. apparently Heat would have been okay but Dragon Slayer was not I like Dragon Slayer I do too <laughs> uh, okay so we're in the home stretch here uh, back to Wednesday Afternoon Classics Adam's Rope what is oh, it yeah. you love about Adam's Rope uh, I love this film uh, written also by Ruth Gordon and yes, Garson Kanan yeah. directed by George Cukor uh, I love Judy Holiday in this film. Oh, yeah. um, I love that uh, Catherine Hepburn takes on this case of a woman who shoots her husband who's been beating her and cheating on her. And she says, what does she say? She says, uh, a boy s- sows a few wild oats hmm. uh, and the world rinks when a girl does. Uh, it's a scandal. Hmm. And so there's a lot of like very feminist issues going on here. And then she goes head to head with her husband, who's also a lawyer, um, Spencer Tracy and all of the conflicts that they're going on uh, that are happening between them because she takes on this case um, and what goes on in the courtroom if you remember when Hope Emerson does that uh, the backflips and like oh how I she, forgot about that yeah part. how she's trying <laughs> to like show that the sexes are equal and then the whole testimony of Judy Holiday is just so comedic and perfectly timed when she's saying uh, she's really amazing and so I says and so he says and so I says <laughs> and he so he says and then there's that great scene where she's uh, when Catherine Hepburn's doing her closing argument where she's like imagine oh, the woman it. you know and she, they look like a you know he look Tom Mule looks like a woman and yeah, they and they actually have the actors and actresses suddenly fade into yes. the makeup of, of the other sex it's really good I ask you all to direct your attention to the defendant Mrs. Attinger now keep looking at her, keep watching, listen carefully and look at her, look at her hard. Now imagine her a man, 
Go on now, use your imaginations. Think of her as a man sitting there accused of a like crime. A husband who was only trying to protect his home. Now hold it, hold that impression and look at Beryl Kane. Look at her, look at her hard. A man, a slick home wrecker, a third party. A wolf. You know the type, all right. Hold that impression and look at Mr. Attinger and suppose him a woman. Try, try hard. Ah, yes, there she is, the guilty wife. Look at her. Does she arouse your sympathy? All right. Now you have it. Judge it so. An unwritten law stands back of a man who fights to defend his home. Apply this same law to this maltreated wife and neglected woman. We ask you no more equality. I think it's just a really um, funny film. It's really topical. Um, and it's uh, it's the great, you know, Judy Holiday performance that helped get her born yesterday on the screen because oh, she did it on stage. Nice. Um, and I mean, I just, to me, it's the one that I always watch over and over again because I just think it's so fun and, uh, their their chemistry in that is great too because they're they're a little more subtle in with each other they're married they're just a little bit older and they're professionals and it's uh it's it's it still resonates today in terms of the sexes and how unfair yeah. it is for women in trial and if they shoot a man like how they're going to be perceived uh and it it holds up today and it's um i just i think that some of these films, like they, they surprise you when you watch them again. Just how a lot of things haven't changed. I know, you it's know, it's kind of shocking. It's kind of shocking. But yeah, that's what's great about these movies with how timely, how the ones that were true to what they were talking about feel like it's happening right now. Yeah, you know, you can never predict the future, but you can nail your present, which will repeat itself. It seems, you know. Um, I feel like Garson Kanan and and uh, uh, Ruth Gordon wrote well for them too, because they were friends. And they, Ruth Gordon and Garson Kane were married. Yeah. And um, Ruth Gordon, so wonderful, and oh, Harold yeah. and Maude. Oh, my God, yeah. Love her. Um, what a great career she had. What an <laughs> interesting Papa woman. And, yeah. yeah, the writing and the acting yeah. and everything she ever did. I mean, she's one of my faves. So uh, it's just, you know, and, and I love the work with George Cukor. Yeah. And I've never seen that on the big screen, so I'm excited to see that on the big screen. Nice. And having them in opposition, that's like it seems like all these four movies have them in opposition roles. This is the perfect vehicle to be in opposition, being lawyers on opposite sides of the case. Like that is just the perfect setup. Uh, and this is you know, this is the one that I remember clearest of these films. I haven't seen a couple of the others. So. And you love this one too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I haven't seen, again, these are movies I would have seen in film class when I was 19, 20. You know, yeah. it's, it's a different world. So. And that's also different. We talk about it sometimes because you're forced to see movies by somebody yeah. who's made you sit down. Now it's like it'd be nice to revisit it, wanting to see it. So yeah, I had uh, that experience a lot too. Stuff that I saw younger, and then I watch it again, and yeah. it really is. I get it a lot more. Yeah. I guess when you get older, you just understand things better. These you are have, mature films too, because they're about, yeah. movies about marriage and stuff. Are very hard to understand when you're or care when you're 19. You Although know? for some reason, I loved Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf when I was oh, 18, yeah. which, which <laughs> seems a little fucked up but I did I watched it over and over again I, I have it memorized yeah 
Uh, that just reveals more about you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we're here for you, Ken. My stepfather was an academic. Oh, so. okay, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> wow. um, and then uh, I guess we're down to the last, the last two of the, the last double. Uh, we, so we're ending the month with a uh, Jack Lemon, uh, Jack Lemon double, uh, and neither of which I've seen, but I know Nor Richard Quinn's a director that you dig, right? Yeah, I do, but I have not seen either of these films. I haven't either, and I, I also like that director, and I believe isn't Ernie Kovacs in? Uh, He's in Madball. Yeah, yeah Operation yeah. Madball. Madball. Yeah, Madball. in this. Year, I think is his centennial. So wow, oh, yeah. So that's 1957, and then Good Neighbor Sam is 1964, uh, which looked pretty crazy. Like it actually looked really funny, uh, and had Romy Schneider in it. And yeah. I was just like, whoa, with Jack Lemmon, and I saw a fun shower scene between the two of them. It looked kind of uh, farcical, but uh, I don't know much about either. I don't know if you know any more than we do on this I, one. I haven't seen either of these. Yeah, so maybe there. I guess that's if all four of us haven't seen it, that that might be the first time in this uh, thing. There's a reason to go to a cinema. And watch what I assume are hard to see films. Yeah, I think I mean, uh, both these film prints too are have never been shown to an audience, so okay. they should look fantastic. And uh, yeah, it'll be new for everyone. I think for some reason I can't remember what I was reading, but for some reason uh, I guess uh, Jack Lemmon didn't like Good Neighbor Sam, but uh, the people for, he had like some specific reason. But it looked really fun, and the, the reviewer I was reading discussing it was like it was a real mistake on his part because he actually has a couple really good films in this period that he's not a fan of that people think are actually good. So I thought the scenes I looked up online of this one looked really entertaining. I didn't see anything on Operation Madball, so uh, a World War II film, I guess. Yeah, it's like yeah. a comedy where yeah. he's in a military hospital, mm. and I guess the nurses are also enlisted people, so they are not allowed to fraternize, and he's trying to outsmart Ernie Kovacs, who's his, like, CO, I believe, <laughs> and... Uh, it's just like a, a little war that way. Another one with a funny trailer where Ernie Kovacs is front and center just talking to the camera. That's right. Yeah, I like saw that. Like the Hollywood that. Shuffle funny. trailer. Or totally. Something. It's yeah. like, that's so fun. Uh, <laughs> I'll see anything with Ernie Kovacs in it, yeah. too. He's, yeah, I'm coming around. I mean, not that I'm coming around, but I didn't wasn't as aware of him as an actor until like five, six years ago when I started seeing him. I like him in everything I've seen mm-hmm. so far. I just saw him. Uh, I finally just saw Bell, Book, and Candle for yeah. the first time, oh. and he's great in that. Same point. director. Yep. That's that's why I was thinking yeah. of it. That's why I have him on the brain right now. Yeah. So that is our tribute to Cliff Robertson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Burt Reynolds, but Cliff Robertson also features nicely. Uh, let's quickly, yeah, quick roundtable. If there's one thing that you would die to see on screen from this month or that you would recommend people to see, your pick of the month, uh, I know... Phil's going Malone Heat, or if Phil goes Malone Heat, I will I will second that. But I would also say White Lightning, Longest Yard would be my other pick. If is I that are you committing to? What? Yeah, I would say all of the Bert. Bert mm-hmm. is my fave, so uh, all of these movies are great. I also can't recommend the Jamal Fanaka double enough. There you go. But Malone Heat is going to be the most entertainment value for yeah. your dollar all month. Yeah, I would. Great stuff. What about you, Kim? I think White Lightning, uh, for sure. Yeah, nice. um, I mean, it's hard for me not to recommend All the Bird either. I mean, I want to yeah. see Smokey and the Bandit again. I have seen them on the big screen. Um, and obviously Deliverance, which I've seen on the big screen. Have I seen White Lightning on the big screen? I'm trying to remember if I actually I have, have seen that. So. so that would be great to see on the big screen. And um, I think Devil in a Blue Dress would be wonderful to see on the big Good screen call. again because it doesn't get – it rarely is screened. I don't think many people – Unless they saw it at the time, you know. 
Yeah, that's a really good call. Yeah, that movie yeah, really needs more love. Choice. I think I'm really into all the matinees. Yeah, those are great. I want you to all go see Deep Cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even though, even though I agree with all of these, I, probably Deliverance Boogie Nights is one I want to go. I definitely think I need to see the Penitentiary, uh, Welcome Home, Brother Charles on screen. I think yeah. it would probably be a really great way to see movies like that for the first time. That's not the one on Valentine's Day, right? Uh, Which one is on? Oh, is Deliverance, Deliverance on Valentine's Boogie Nights. Yeah. Totally going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, seriously, Deep Cover is, to me, I think with a crowd, that would probably be a super fun movie. I had a lot of fun just watching it um, at home alone uh, again, and uh, I think it will really surprise people how how well it holds up. Um, so yeah, there's lots of uh, another great month um, yeah. of programming. You so. should serve like Valentine's candy on you know just for on. They should serve it at the theater on Deliverance Night. We'll do something. Special. <laughs> what, 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 what kind of snack uh, kind of would tie into squealing like a pig? Oh, some God. sort of like pork rinds or something with Deliverance? I don't know. Something tasteful. Dueling banjo cookies? Yeah, like something like, like that. that. Somebody's got to yeah. get it. Some, there's got to be a tie-in. Well, you guys could have donuts. There's that well, famous donut scene. I could tell you what uh, we could uh, <laughs> I think uh, last time we played Boogie Nights, we had uh, the the Dirk dogs. The Dirk dogs <laughs> oh, okay. Or like uh, oh, man. extra long. Let's see if we can. Well, I think uh, you could also serve that with Deliverance. And I think oh, it would be yeah, equally yeah. topical. Yeah. <laughs> the oh, two yeah. merge perfectly. Uh, well, uh, thanks so much, Kim, for coming yeah. on this Thank one. Thank you Huge for having me. Uh, we really want to have you back on one of our normal episodes where we just look, pick five movies. That would be topic. fun. Then I, we'll can, like, really, then I can really yes. focus. We'll let you deep dive. Because this one is always sprawling. And there's because the programming, there's so many different types of movies. I was worried. I was on deadline. Well, yeah. well I'm glad I... you're here for Bert. I think both of you having you both here for to talk about Bert was super important. Yeah, and that's the thing about this month to really take away. It's going to be Bert month, so I uh, can't wait. So yeah, thanks for. So uh, when you have th- Ralph Meeker month, you can. Invite you're in. Back. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> that's coming up. So Meeker month's coming up. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>